and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 122. Let's roll and roll right into the Super Bowl we go. Uh, pretty exciting week to be talking to anybody about football, but you know I've got a I've got a true football guy, a real football dude, and of course making his return to the podcast from last year's live look in at the Senior Bowl, right after the Senior Bowl this year, is none other than Mister Thor Nystrom. Thor Nystrom can be found on Twitter at Thor K U. Thor is. Amazing, and I am so excited to have him on the show. Thor, Nystrom, what is going on, my friend? Not a lot, Jack. It's good to be with you again. I, I was telling you before the show, our, our senior ball recaps becoming an annual thing at this point, so it's happy to be back, and, and I had a fun time in Mobile, and I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, last year, you know, I had you on the show. It was really cool, actually. This year, you know, you're in the comfortable confines of your own home, but last year I had you out in the rain uh, you were rain soaked live on scene and uh, you were so, so kind to take that time and to come on the show. And you did such an amazing job. I thought it was a great show. So thank you so much for that. But if we remember, we kind of, well, we, <laughs> who the hell am I? You kind of nailed some things for us. You know, Rashad White, Christian Watson, uh, you, you were really low on Abram Smith, where everybody else was kind of saying he was good. The only one we made a missed is but there was a lot, a lot of buzz. You weren't alone here. It was with Malik Willis. But you know, I thought, I thought the, the the content you provided was great. Not not only the uh, the fact that you did it for us and and did a great job with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And every draft class there's going to be hits and misses. I yes. I will say it's a little too early to start throwing dirt on Malik Willis. I I, sure. I remember you know I I was one of the few people in the industry who had Lamar Jackson ranked in the top five in his class. I remember people made fun of me about that take all the way through his first off season right. and maybe a game or two into his second year. And it stopped real quick after that. Um, true. Malik, obviously Malik Willis, even me who was sky high on him said he needed the year um, yes. and also an, an offense built around him. And he didn't get either of those two things and was playing That's around true. the worst supporting cast that you'll ever see, even when he was in with the offense that wasn't built around him. So what we'll see when he gets this off season, now he's had the year under him, what, what he can be going for, but I'm hoping the circumstances get better around him as well. going forward. I couldn't agree more. Like when Malik went into the game, you know, you would have thought that they would have done some of that, like uh, Lamar Jackson year one offense stuff where he would be running the football, you know, and <clears throat> It felt like a missed opportunity. I mean, you have Derrick Henry. You certainly can lean into a run-heavy, like, smash-mouth, let Malik kind of do his thing, like, you know, RPO, press the edge, like, do all that stuff that, you know, they did with uh, Lamar in year one with Malik. Now, I would imagine there's obviously some some issues with that in terms of getting the rest of the offense up to speed, installing a new offense. You know, he is the backup, so we're not just going to redo everything because he's taken over – I get all that, but you're correct in that they did not do those things. For sure. Yeah. And I don't understand not not putting any alterations in. Or it's like, you know, at that point, you'd had him in the, you'd had him in the building for like when did we first see him? Was it like October or whatever? Like you you drafted him April. Right. So it's what what is that? I'm not good at math, but is that six yeah, months? A long later? time is what it is, Thor. It's a long time. And they had access to every bit the game film that we did. And at that point they'd had him in the building for X amount of time. 
Malik Willis didn't athletically test. He would have tested as the most athletic quarterback who would ever tested if he had. But they knew all of his athletic prowess. And so, yeah, it was, it was a bit surprising, especially when you consider not just the skill set and not just the offense that he was coming from, trying to help him with that, that acclimation. But especially when you considered, you're totally right, you had Derrick Henry next to him, but the rest of the offense, once he got in there, was an absolute travesty. I, I saw this, this ESPN article where they, they had the metrics of like um, the aggregate yards of separation uh, <laughs> per route run of the receivers that were on the field. And Malik, will I think his first game, it was either the least amount of separation yards in the entire NFL up to that point, or it was in the bottom three or something yeah. like that. It was like, it, like his receivers that game, it was like Cody Hollister, uh, Nick uh, Westbrook, what, yeah. Kina, and uh, some other bum. I, and, I don't know. And wash Robert Woods. Robert Woods was awful last year, like awful. Yeah, and he, he, I was trying. He might. I think I thought he might have been injured in that game, but it, you know, perhaps either way. Yeah, uh, you know, like it, it. It was just really bad. But yeah, I mean, like you, you think about the the context of you know again both of the things. Yeah, you, like why aren't you using his mobility more and the mobility it played immediately? Like you you saw it in the preseason was really stressing defenses, and when they allowed him to run during the regular season, he was doing damage with that too. Um, yeah, you don't want that to be the only foot he's led with, but initially in year one, when you didn't think you'd be playing him anyway, that should be sort of the, the, the thing that you're leading with, at least scaring the defense with his mobility or yes. putting that, the threat of that out there in conjunction with Derrick Henry. And by the way, Derrick Henry ran rough shot in a couple of those games. The threat of like even the idea of a Malik Willis as a runner, it adds value. It like does. we, we know at this point, um, I, I think it was. PFF had done something where I'm going to forget the exact uh, uh, numbers, but it's like, I, I don't know if, if the cutoff point was like 50 design quarterback runs or if it was a hundred or, or like something like that. But every, at, at every point of that demarcation, when you went up, apparently it added, I think, I think it was 0.2 yards per carry for that team's running back. Mm. Um, you know, just the threat of your quarterback running, it adds, uh, you know, like to the utility of, of your running back. That makes perfect sense too. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you know it's, like, it's like a basketball thing with the spacing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have to go cover the guy in the corner because he's never going to make the three, you can crowd the paint. Same thing with these linebackers. If they're like, yeah, um, Eli Manning is not going to keep it on the boot. I can basically just crash into the running back. But when that, you know, that that one linebacker is stressed, it creates space for the running back to get a little bit more and sometimes break a big one. So 100 percent, it stands to reason on the flip side, though. Uh, he was worse as a passer than I think you and I would have liked to have seen. We can agree on that, yeah? For sure. Um, but again, we got to see him playing behind an NFL offensive line and yep. NFL receivers. Agreed. Um, ideally in a system that is even, even hinting at, at his like what he does good. Um, and, and, and we'll see at that point. He made some incredible throws last yeah. year and some that just clanged off his receiver's hands. He just, yeah, by, to me, to me Thor, though, he, he looked overwhelmed in a lot of situations. Like, and, and that's not like that doesn't mean he's good or bad or whatever, that, but that's what it looked like, right? Like, so that was that was disconcerting as someone who was like, there, I see some upside, you know. Um, yeah, and, and maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, maybe I've written him off mentally a little bit more than I should too. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, you, you a guy like Jalen Hurts, you know, a lot of people are singing his praises, but Look, the reason Jalen Hurts is in 
well, there's a number of reasons. Their roster is stacked. But the reason Jalen Hurts has elevated himself, I should say, is because he has been able to throw the ball on time and on time and on target, right? If he was unable to do that, this would have been a flawed team. But because he has the legs and he's been able to do that, that has that has elevated him. And and when Malik was unable to even attempt to deliver the ball on time and on target, sometimes you know just because he seems so overwhelmed, I don't know that we've seen exactly what he can be. Um, he does need to be coached up, as you point out. I think the year is a hundred percent true that he needed the year off to sort of understand what the hell's going on. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that does it, but he certainly needed it for sure. Um, and he definitely needs an offense tailored to him. And, you know, hey, uh, I'd love to see it because I love watching these guys, you know, the, the Lamar Jacksons and the, you know, anytime a guy can break, you know, Justin Fields this year. I mean, wh- that team was, if you just looked at the passing offense and said, hey, this team was exciting to watch, you'd be like, no fucking way this team was exciting to watch. But they were because of Justin Fields' greatness with his legs. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and going back to Jalen Hurts, his first yeah. season, he completed 52% of his passes for Bingo. a six to four TDINT ratio. And I, I bet Malik Willis would have looked better as a passer playing behind the league's best offensive line with AJ Brown and Devonta <laughs> Smith and Miles yeah. Sanders. You know, go, going down the line. Yes. You know, like people just, they don't bake, and, and, and this is an NFL draft talking point too. Uh, I, I consistently see mistakes made with this. They don't bake context when they're like into their evaluations or into their understanding of a situation. Again, Malik Willis shouldn't have been playing last year because he had to learn how to play the, in the pro style concepts of the offense. Yeah. Like the offense that they were playing at Liberty, it was a playground thing. It's not that Malik Willis can't learn how to play a different kind of an offense. It's that the 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 switch from one to the other was so precipitous. And even guys that played more you know, that, that had similar-ish skill sets that played in more conventional kind of offenses, they needed time to acclimate in. Lamar yeah. Jackson came from the Earhart Perkins system at Louisville. People don't understand this. Lamar Jackson literally played in a pro-style system for an NFL coach at Louisville. Right. But for multiple years, he started. But, like, he still needed time to yes. acclimate in. Uh, Jalen Hurts played for two of the best college coaches like of the modern era right? Uh, in, in, in Saban and, and Lincoln Riley, right. he needed time to acclimate. Like those guys, they none of them look good in, in their first year. And Malik Willis was coming from a lower level of competition and even more of a playground uh, style of offense. Uh, and he didn't play with anybody in college. And, and, and we'll see going forward. But the year one was always going to be sort of a throwaway. And it's sort of unfortunate that the, the limited times that we got to see him, that... The, that the circumstances, you know, some of it was outside of his control as far as the personnel. It just was what it was, but it was, it was, unfor- that part of it was unfortunate. But then I, I felt that there was an unforced error as far as the, the offensive philosophy of the team. You absolutely could have built uh, an efficient offense around Malik Willis's skill set yes. last year. It's just that it wouldn't have looked like the Titans' offense as it was traditionally run by Tannehill, but they, for whatever reason, didn't want to make any of those alterations with Malik Willis. Yeah, and to, and to feed your point about the throwaway year, you know, you don't have to look any further than the the the, the other guy in the in the Super Bowl in Patrick Mahomes, who took a year off and only That's played right. one game his rookie season, and he's the yeah. greatest quarterback of all time, so to speak, right? And 
Trevor Lawrence, who had a, 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 an awful season, and even on back to players like Peyton Manning. I mean, we've seen this before. Year one is is not necessarily what you judge all these guys by. So I'm with you 100. Let's let's maybe let's maybe take another look at Malik and whether or not he can play in this league. Uh, certainly, the the draft capital might hold him back a little bit to opportunity, but that's a whole another thing. Speaking of Jalen Hurts, by the way. Um, Let's talk about the Super Bowl before we just kind of get, you know, knee deep, elbows deep maybe into the Senior Bowl, which I think is going to be a lot of fun and uh, and rookie prospects, which literally uh, are, are my, my fans are like waiting with bated breath. But I do want to get your take on this Super Bowl. I think it's a great Super Bowl. I mean, we are really blessed as football fans to get this matchup, don't you think? I, I do. Yeah, th- this is a really good one. This is the one you I, like I would have hoped for, um, you know, like heading in. So it's it's kind of cool that we got it. Um, I like, you know, just as far as looking at it, you, you have a, the close Vegas line Philly's favor by a point and a half. It looks like at least what I'm seeing live. I, I think I'm going to lean with the Chiefs in that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a good game for sure. My, my big bet has been a teaser. Chiefs uh, plus seven and a half to in the over at 44 and a half. So I love that bet. I really, I don't see the Chiefs getting blown out. I mean, it's possible, of course. They could definitely get smoked. Uh, any, anything could happen. But I like them to be able to stay close with, with the greatness of Mahomes. And I like the over. I just don't think it's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of fourth downs going for it. There's no, nobody's going to be playing it like, well, let's just punt. And, but that's not going to happen. Like both teams know, hey, man, we, we need to score. Like there's no possible way the Chiefs are thinking we can hold them down. They're not going to score. Because here's the thing that, that, I mean, let's talk about some matchups. This running attack for the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs, not very good rush defense. That could be the story of the game. This could be one of those situations where it's 250 rushing yards uh, from the Eagles, and they just sort of dominate physically on offense, and the Chiefs are just having too few possessions, maybe a turnover for the Chiefs or something, and it's, that's, the, that's the pathway to a blowout. I'm not saying it will happen, but you can kind of see that, can't you? Potentially. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, the, the thing, I mean, obviously the, the Chiefs, the, their defense, it's the, their, you know, the secondary thing or, or whatever their team. But one thing that, that you do kind of like is they do have athleticism yeah. on defense. And Philly's offense, what they're good at, they, they put defenders into conflict. Yes. And a lot of times the defenses that have the, the, the disadvantage with the foot speed like if 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 you make one false move on them, all of a sudden the guy's behind you with the ball, and now he's just running in space. I I as a Viking yes. fan coming to you from Minneapolis, I I saw this over <laughs> and over again. And you know they they would get Eric Kendrick, so they get a, a Hicks, they get him thinking for like a half second too long, and all of a sudden one of those fleet backs or you know one of the receivers are coming out and they got the ball behind them, and now they're running in the open field or whatever. Yep. Um, the, the Chiefs have uh, far better athletes than that. Even if if some and, of and pretty good have, defensive coaching, they do. Yeah, in and, two weeks and, and coaching all around. Yeah, yep. and and you know Jalen Hurts, he's a he's a really good quarterback, but there are things that you can do to try to hold him down. Whereas like Mahomes, when he gets into the zone, nothing. I mean, there's do. there's yep. nothing you can do. It's, it's like the Michael Jordan, LeBron James thing. Yeah. Um, whereas Hurts, you can at least try to pen him in. And and so we'll, we'll see, but like, yeah, I mean, that's the big thing for the Chiefs is, is is not allowing those those Philly guys, you know, not allowing the mental mistakes that allow the Philly guys behind you. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think I, you know, I do think Mahomes shows up for a game like this. I mean, you know, the only time we've really seen Mahomes flop was the offensive line game where he was like literally he would get the ball from the center snap, like the shotgun. And like, as the ball was getting there, it was like, who's going to get there first, a defensive player or the ball. It was like, that was the bet, you know? I mean, he was getting it and immediately uh, uh, under, under pressure. It was like tech mobile when you pick the right defensive play. That's what that, that, that game looked like. So other than that game where he would literally just start running to the sideline immediately, uh, he's been great and he's been able to, to, to deliver. So I think that'll be, uh, you know, what we see from him a, again this week. Um, what other matchups intrigue you in this game? Because uh, there's a ton of them just kind of all over the place that I think are very interesting to see what, you know, like, you know, whether or not Team A or Team B can get something done. What, what are some of the things that you're looking at in this game? Yeah, I mean, just like a treetop one would be, you know, Philly's obviously got the really stout defense, and you're wondering, you know, the Kansas City vaunted offense. You're you're wondering, you know, between those two things, the immovable object and the whatever the other thing is, like which which one of those wins the day? Because whichever one does, it's that's probably going to be the team that wins. Can can Mahomes just sort of assert his will on them, um, or can can Philly shut them down a little bit like they've done to some other good offenses? You know, and another thing that I'll be I'll be watching is Philly at the end of the year, they started to stumble a little bit more and you wondered or, you know, slow down a little bit and they stubbed their toe in a couple of games. And you wonder if if that was some some coaching changes on the other side. You know, some of these things we're talking about, about schematic changes and stuff like that. And once Philly got into the playoffs, they, they had a, a little, uh, uh, I guess, run of luck, but, you know, for lack of a better way to say it. And, and, you know, luck runs out facing the Chiefs. So it's like, you know, are they going to, is Philly going to revert back to the early season Philly or is it going to be sort of the stop start thing that we saw near the end of the regular season? And that's, that's going to dictate too how this game goes. Yeah, they, the, Philadelphia played a very weak quarterback schedule. And I know that that um, has helped their, de- their defense is good. Like, I think we would agree, like if we were saying, hey, pick, no quarterbacks. Just take the quarterbacks off the teams. Which roster do you want? And it w- I think we'd all kind of pick Philly, right? So yeah. I'm not taking anything away from them. However, you know, since week six, they played the Cowboys. That was Cooper Rush. They played the Steelers. I'm not. I don't even know if it was Pickett or I think it was Trubisky. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they played Davis Mills. Then they played the Commanders. They played the Colts, and that, I think it was Ellinger. Then they and those were all they, they dominated. Then they played the Packers. They gave up 33. So Aaron Rodgers puts up 33. They played the Titans. Sorry. Uh, They played the Giants. They put up 22. I mean, the Bears. Then they played the Cowboys and Dak. They gave up 40. Um, You know, so it's like then they played the Saints, the Giants again, and then Giants and 49ers in the playoffs. They really haven't played quality quarterbacks. The only two quality quarterbacks they've played since week six put up 30, 33 and 40 points against them. I'm not saying that that means their defense is secretly bad. I'm just saying they're, they're gettable. And if anybody's going to get him, Mahomes is the guy to get him. I, I do think this goes high scoring. I do think that both offenses are able to do what they want to do uh, against the other defense. And what I think, you know, obviously the, the, the two outside corners for Philly, I think the middle of the field, well, that's where, you know, Juju and uh, and Kelsey play. I think also the backs, I think uh, both Pacheco and, and whomever, whether it's Pacheco or McKinnon, should be able to get some uh, you, you know, that's, I think that's where the passing game will come from. What do you think? 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and to your point about the um, you know, the the stretch that Philly's played in the, their defense, I I seen this stat, and I probably shouldn't even uh, bring it up because I'm not going to remember the exact numbers on it, but they whoever did it, they they had broken it down by opponent strength, and uh, from what I remember, it was like the against playing bad uh, uh, offenses, Philly they had by far the best defense in the NFL, like of the 32 when you do that. But like against the, uh, you know, I don't know where the cutoff was, top seven or good or bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then they were like middle of the pack or like something like that. And so obviously that's a small sample size, you know, and and you talked about a a couple of those games, but that is something that, yeah, I mean, it sticks in your head and it's a little, little bit troubling when you think about some of those, the the games that got Philly here, some of the the lackluster quarterback play that they got to face and, and now you're going up against this juggernaut offense. Yeah, and I think they're a great team, Philadelphia, and they they kick the shit out of those bad teams. Like, right? So they didn't it's not yeah. like, oh, they're they're no paper tiger. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. I'm just saying that they're not necessarily uh, I wouldn't expect them to dominate the Chiefs offense. Is is what I guess I'm getting at. You know, it's not going to be well, you know, obviously anything can happen, but I wouldn't expect it to be one of these, you know, oh, they only scored 16 points, uh, you know, or something. Uh, the Chiefs. I, I do think it's going to get up there. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, you know, Mahomes going through the ankle. I think you know one of the one of the things I've heard and I tend to agree with is that you know the MVP for if the Chiefs win is ah, it's like ninety percent going to be Mahomes. If they win, I, it's really hard to imagine a way that they win without Mahomes being the MVP. I mean, there's a couple of outlier scenarios. You know, maybe a multiple touchdown game or a big game from Kelsey could happen. Maybe somehow a defensive player makes like this fucking unbelievable play that like, you know, he has a couple sacks and then picks one off and takes it to the house. Of course, these are outlier situations, but it's really Mahomes. On the other side, I actually think that anybody's in play. I mean, Miles Sanders has a has an opportunity to be an MVP. I mean, he, you know, if he goes for 150 and two touchdowns, and they win. It's like, well, who? I mean, Jesus, give it to them. You know, uh, you know, defensively, they they could get there too. Obviously, I know there's been a lot of talk about the DN Sweat and, uh, you know, and and uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, brains, brain fart. But you know, one of the one of the defensive uh, defensive players that could get to Mahomes. Obviously, Mahomes and his ankle is a storyline. So, but uh, l- l- let's go this way. What is your prediction for the game? And then we can get on to the other big bowl, the senior bowl. Uh, Brandon Graham, by the way, was Brandon. Was, Graham. Yeah. Um, so, well, one other, and I wanted to hit on one other point too. Uh, you, you had mentioned the Mahomes with the MVP thing. It, that's totally true. Uh, I, and for the national title game, Georgia against TCU, I, I and this, this goes to uh, Kelsey, you know, like as an idea that, I, I bet on Brock Bowers to win game MVP, some like 12 to one. I, I just felt like it was too high. And then you, you watch that game. And in the first half, Brock Bowers, you're just absolutely dominating. Like it was mm. everything that you would have hoped for with that ticket. TCU just could not cover him whatsoever. Brock Bowers is the best receiving tight end in college football. And we, we'll be talking about him a lot next spring. But anyhow, Brock Bowers finishes seven catches, 152 yards and a touchdown receiving he also had two catches or i'm sorry two runs for uh 15 yards as a runner and when he was not catching the ball tcu was throwing two guys at him like like they're uh the who is the other fella um mcconkey mcconkey had like 78 yards receiving like something like that but two like his his the two receptions that made up the bulk of that he was essentially uncovered because tcu was giving so much attention to brock bowers 
after the game, like I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm already counting my money from that, that win. Right. They give it to Evans. Well, I can swear on this. They give it to fucking Stetson Bennett. Right. And, and I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. Like <laughs> you really gave it to Stetson. Were we watching the same game? But it, yeah, I mean, like when you have the the big name quarterback and, and he's done it before or whatever, like the, the media always does that as yes. opposed to like the guy who's actually doing it. And in the case of the Chiefs and Mahomes, that would actually be valid. Whereas the case of Georgia, it's Stetson better. It's like, you, you guys are, you're kidding. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the separation was like 20 yards per, per uh, pass. I mean, the guys were just running clearly wide open. I, yeah, yeah. that, that, that was uh, one of the biggest mismatches. I mean, that one was an easy, easy one to pick that uh, Georgia was going to smoke them in the title game. I, I thought the, the title game was the Georgia Ohio, St- Ohio state game, which was just awesome to watch. Uh, that, that was, was a lot fun. of fun. Yeah. yeah. Who, 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 by the way, the other guy I was thinking about was Hassan Reddick too. Of course, uh, oh, yeah. he, he yeah. could absolutely have a a, a game wrecker, uh, you know, uh, game. But the um, what do you got in this game? I mean, who, who you know? I picked I picked the Chiefs to beat the Eagles. I know super super risky heading into it, but I did, and I picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl from the from the beginning of the season. And uh, so I kind of like the Chiefs just for that reason to kind of stick with my. My bet, you know, I mean, I've kind of picked them to win preseason. I picked them to win before the uh, before the playoffs to beat the Eagles. So I kind of have to stick there, and I'm 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 just gonna you know stay there. But what do you got to uh, to, to win this game? What's the final score? Um. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna go with the Chiefs, and um, we'll we'll make it a little bit spicy. I'm gonna say by double digits. I'm, I'll say um. We'll say, uh, how about 31 to 20 Chiefs? Nice. There you go. Well, I, I was going to say 31-27. That's been my prediction. So, really, it's a very similar prediction. Uh, you know, just somehow or another, the, the 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 Eagles weren't able to get there in your in your situation. Probably a pretty good game, but the the the, the Chiefs are able to pull away. And in mine, it, it's a little bit closer. Uh, yeah, totally. I think that's going to be what happens. I think it's going to be real hard to keep the Chiefs off 30. And uh, so I think the the Eagles need to score. I think they know that. I think they're going to go for it. Uh, they go for it on fourth down all the time. You know, when it's third and four, they can run twice and get it. Um, so I, I, it's going to be interesting to see which team has the resolve to stay with what they do best, right? You know, you can sort of see Philadelphia all of a sudden, you know, that maybe they get stuffed on a couple runs. And then ne- next thing you know, they're trying to pass too much and they, they abandon the running game. It's possible. So – you know, I, I, I'm really interested. It's going to be a chess match, too. Two great coaching staffs, two great rosters. Uh, I, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, But speaking of a game that was maybe a little bit of a letdown as the game, but the Senior Bowl is all about the practice. It's not about the game. Boy, I, I, I was checking the Shrine Bowl uh, statistics. I was like, oh, I didn't really catch the game or whatever. You know, I know some of the players there, but I was like, let me go look at the box score. And I was like, Oh geez, forget this. <laughs> so I was like, "What a shit game that was." Quarterbacks are like just awful, whatever. But um, but really, where you get the most information is during the practices, where you can watch these guys compete with one another. I think the format lends itself to certain types of players, and we'll get there. But overall, what was your sort of take this year about the Senior Bowl? What you, you know, what was your takeaway just from a thirty thousand foot view from being there? Yeah, it was a, a fun week as always down in, in Mobile. Always a good time. We'll, we'll see how much longer the game ends up staying there. But uh, I, I, you know, yeah. enjoying it down there while, while it is down there. Um, and then as far as this year, um, 
wasn't the the sexiest crop, particularly at the uh, sexy positions. Like uh, you know, in particular, quarterback was pretty poor uh, this yep. year. But the 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 crop that was good there, the trench play was pretty good in Mobile, and the defensive backs were very good in Mobile. And I think that's going to be a theme of of this draft: um, the trench play and the defensive backs. Like. You know, especially you're going to hear this over and over again with the cornerback class. It's one of the largest cornerback classes that we've ever seen, not in terms of like how many there are, but in terms of just sheer aggregate size of the prospects. We have so many guys in this class that are over, you know, six feet, over six, one, over six, two, um, you know, over 190, over 200 pounds, some over 210. Um, and then guys that are either threatening the 80 inch wingspan or are breaching it. So you have a lot of the outside uh, cover man, press man kind of outside cornerbacks. So that's that was inter- interesting to see in Mobile as well. I, I, I'm of course you, you caught me off guard. What was the what was the kid's name that was like the clear winner of the defensive backs? Um, Darius Rush probably was the biggest one from South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know there was a couple of guys that really dominated. I just couldn't remember Julius which guy. Brent's it was. another one from which Kansas. one? Julius Brents. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. So Brents yeah. and uh, and Rush. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I heard there was some really good cornerback play, which was pretty interesting. That's the other thing too. You know, you you, you watch these uh, wide receivers, and they didn't all compete against the exact same back on a, the exact same route. There's not uniformity in that in that way. So you kind of have to be particular what you're looking for and what you're trying to see happen. Um, which is why we talked to someone like Thor, who actually does not have a, a, a horse in the race, so to speak. You weren't going down there to to confirm your priors. You were going down there to see what's what. And that's why I love it. You know, I think you're really, you know, going in there with an open mind and, you know, you kind of know what to look for. Uh, you know, I've, I've said this about you. You're one of my favorite people. I say it all the time. I fucking love Thor. Follow him on, on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter. He's great to talk to. He's super funny. He's super likable. Love Thor. He's, a, he's just awesome. All right, we'll get to more awesome Thorness later, but... What, what did you think about – let's start with the winners, right? Yeah. And as you point out, the quarterbacks all suck, so we'll get there in a moment. Tight ends, who gives a shit? But I think the big ones – and I already know what you're going to say because, of course, it's been run over. But I'm just going to ask you straight up, who were some of the winners at the running back position uh, in Mobile from your perspective? Well, luckily, this this position was was actually pretty good there, yep. um, unlike quarterback and tight end. But the the big one, the bonanza winner, and and not just this position, might have been the entire event was Tajay Spears, right from Tulane. And with him, it was a conjunction of a couple of things. Like you know, some prospects go down there and they sort of confirm the strengths of their evaluation, and you know, have solid weeks. The ones who really have the bonanza weeks and like Sora boards. They're the ones that both confirm the strengths on the evaluation, but then start to either delete the questions or at least, um, you know, introduce some doubt into like, yes. the, you know, the weaknesses of the questions and on their eval. That's well what said. Spears did this week. You know, like the, the strengths on his evaluation, it was the explosion, uh, the, the movement, uh, his instincts and vision and the decision making when he's hurtling down the field at high speeds like you just yes. don't see guys like he's one of those guys who has like the the eyes and his ear holes kind of a thing he's just always making the right decision and he turns like the defenders in the third level into keystone cops just running into each other or whatever <laughs> yeah and, and like so like but but he had these questions like people going into mobile like the, and and there was you know a camp of these people that did not like spears and there was reasons for it like number one they said he was too small 
he was listed last year 195. Before then, he was listed 190. Um, the other one, durability. He had torn his ACL in, in 2020. Uh, lack of passing down utility. They didn't throw the ball to him a ton or have like a lot of times they bring in a, a third down back or whatever. And then he didn't play a lot of special teams. So some people were saying he's a, he's a small uh, running back who can't carry the full load. He has durability concerns and you got to yank him on passing downs. What's what's that guy's worth in the modern NFL? Nothing, by the way. They're right that that guy is worthless. That's true. And, but, and my counter to that is how many guys do you do you watch that are that natural uh, as like, just pure runners, just natural running ability as Tajay Spears with that amount of explosion. And and that's the stuff that that showed up. And he proved the explosion in conjunction with uh, uh, deleting the or maybe not deleting, but introducing doubt into that, that first question on the eval about his size. He totally. comes in, he shows up to Mobile, weighs in at 204 pounds. Bingo. Uh, I asked him about this at the media breakfast. Tajay said he was up to 197 for the bowl game against USC, which was, uh, I believe that was on January 2nd. And then he gained the other seven pounds in the next four weeks training for this event. Hmm. And he, it, it looks supernatural. Like he, he looks sort of noticeably uh, a little bit thicker in his uh, t- uh, torso and then also in the lower half. And the, like I said, the, the movement and the explosion, he retained all of it. So that, so that was question one. Question two about the, the third down utility, um, the, the passing down stuff. Chase Brown is an example of a back in this class who was not used a bunch on third downs. He goes to Mobile and proves that that was something that probably the usage was probably more endemic to his game, the weakness. Because like balls were clanging off of his hands, he couldn't get any separation in the one on ones, and then he was getting ragdolled in the pass pro as well. Yes. Whereas Tajay Spears goes out in in both the the one on ones, also the team drills, shows very soft hands, um, you know, j- just like what you know at the catch catch point, but also was shaking people out of their shoes in the one on ones. Like the linebackers could not stay with him, so you know he he had the very sudden footwork and and the acceleration out of his breaks and everything like that, but showed a lot more skill as a receiver, I think, than, than we were prepared for as well. Um, and, and proved that he could probably play, he's more playable on third downs maybe than people thought coming in. And maybe that was more just a, a usage thing by Tulane or maybe, you know, the year coming off of his injury. Maybe they, they wanted to just cut down his, his touches a little bit. And that's one way they did it or for whatever reason, right? But like he put doubt into that one as well. The medical thing we'll have to see but the fact that he had such a bonanza of a season last year and the fact that he was getting better at the end of the season, like where he truly started to go ballistic, it was those last like five, six games. He was getting stronger as the season, you know, ended, wrapped up, not not less so, stayed healthy the entire season. Um, and then obviously, you know, what, what he did in Mobile as well. So we'll have to see in Indianapolis if the medicals check out, you know, and he gets the, the thumbs up. But you'd have to assume that they will in, in, in lieu of those different things. And I also think that there's potential, like he hasn't done much of this stuff, but like I do think that there's potential uh, return or utility there if you want it. Again, because you just don't see guys that are that explosive that have those kind of instincts, you know, at, at hurtling down the, the field at those high speeds. That's what you're looking for in a returner. But um, Tajay Spears, again, proved all the, the strengths and then, systematically went down the list and, and questioned all the weaknesses. I love it. Yeah. You, you know, I, I don't follow college football too much, but you know, I, I, I put on some Tajay Spears film once I realized he was going to be, uh, you know, 
somebody to watch in this in this class. And you're right. When you watch him, you're just like, dude, this dude's electric. And then you see he's not big. So you're like, well, how big is he? Is he big enough? Like, is he just a small school guy that like, hey, yeah, he's a good college player, but just not big enough to be an NFL back and he'll be a special team guy. And that's the question. And that's a fair question. And I think you're right that he answered that by weighing in at 5'9", 204, which is fine. That's fine. Now, if, if he has the frame to be a little bit bigger, great. But that's big enough already. Um, you know, that's that's knocking on Aaron Jones' door. You know, certainly in the Kenny Gainwell to Aaron Jones spot. And wh- whether he's closer to a Gainwell or an Aaron Jones, I don't know. But I'll take either type of player. Um you know, you point out his finish. I did not know this. This is amazing. Like, yeah, in his first one, two, three, four, five, six games, he only went over 100 yards once, like this this past year. You know, so he was, you know, kind of pedestrian to be square. And then the last whatever games, he, he went for 151, 120. This is just rushing. 151, 125, 157, 130, 121, 181, 199, 205 in a row. Like yep. he just was dominating a lot of those on minimal touches only went over 20 touches a couple, two, three times. Like, so he was just ripping fools. So he absolutely was that player down the stretch. As you point out, he did have 19 catches last year and 22 catches this year. That's good enough for me, especially when you say also that he was the far better pass protector in mobile versus a, a person like chase Brown, who I heard got trucked everywhere uh, in yep. pass protection. I'll take your word for it again, as you echo that sentiment. But um, yeah, I think this is uh this is a guy that is very, very interesting. And I, I'll ask this and, and, and you know, you can, you can tell me if you, if you're prepared for this question, but there's another player who's very similar, played in a much bigger school, has a much bigger name recognition, Devin, a chain. Uh, I feel like they're similar in terms of size and stature potential. We're going to find out in the combine, which is what's maddening. I just want to know size. I want to know all the numbers so I can I can compare these guys. But what do you think uh, between these two players? Who who do you prefer as a prospect? Probably Achin, but it it is it has got it got it's closer. Close. It, Bingo. Yeah, in, in in the last week and um. Probably my final referendum on that is is going to come during the testing. Um, yep. Audrey could could fumble the bag there potentially. Obviously, right. he has the, the it, now he's got the bigger question on him with the size because he ain't going to be able to get up to two hundred four or whatever. And and by the way, I fully expect Spears to show up at the the combine. I expect him to show up around two ten. Like nice. I, I think he came into this this draft process like John Wick. I'm going nice. to shoot down these questions one by one. And I think he's, he's gunning for that 210 because I think he knows what the threshold is. Yes. And, and, you know, and, and knows that he can test well at it. Ajay and, you know, 185 pound kid or whatever, like he, he's probably going to come in and want to weigh in at 190. But like, I, I don't know if he can get much, much bigger than that. But with Ajay, you have more of like he's faster. Right. Like, and, and Ajin, like the, um, just acceleration from out of the, the start, out of the blocks, yeah. probably better too. Um, but like, you know, that, that, that's some of the stuff that you're looking at with, with those guys. But you obviously have the, the, the size limitations with Ajin. We're going to have to see how he tests. But I mean, if Ajin runs in the four twos and the rest of his tests are stupid yeah. too, <laughs> right. then I'm probably going to have to keep him above Spears. Yeah, it's interesting. I've got them back to back in my rankings and my rankings are <clears throat> like water there. It's just it's a soup. It's just moving. And I'm just trying to put things in place. I'm not like 
no way, man, he's better than him. I don't feel that way right now. And and because there's way too much more information to sort of come, yep. you know, of course, one of the biggest bits of information comes last, which is when the, they're drafted in, you know, their, their, their draft cap is a very, very big indicator of what, not just what they are, but what the NFL thinks they are. <laughs> right. So like, I've said this so many times, like it doesn't matter if you and I and the player thinks they can catch the football. If the, if the league doesn't think they can catch the football, then they're not going to get targets. You know what I'm saying? It's like what we think is not specifically relevant. It's what happens. So, you know, trying to tell the future, we use these uh, bits of data. Um, But I am starting to think that Tajay, like I have him right there at the, you know, right around the top 10 uh, running backs in this class. And, you know, the way that we talk about how good he was in Mobile, you would think he's RB2, and I've heard some people, like, throwing him up there. Slow down. You know, there's other good backs in here. You don't think if Sean Tucker were at this, you know, event, he would have done well, or if Jameer Gibbs was here, he wouldn't have been like, holy shit, Jameer Gibbs is good? Of course. You know, so don't overweight this stuff when you're talking about dynasty players. Like, settle down, slow down, know that we've got a player to watch. And one of the reasons I comped him to Aaron Jones was not because I think he's exactly like Aaron Jones. Like I understand they're probably different players in a lot of ways. Aaron Jones was one of the best pass catchers ever. Not someone who was, you know, Hey, maybe this guy's good at catching pass. I meant more so in sort of, Hey, he's a little bit smaller. He may be overlooked a little bit by the NFL, um, but he came on late from a small school and could be really productive in the league. That's kind of what I meant. Um, What do you think of the, you know, Kenny Gainwell, Aaron Jones, uh, you know, comps? I mean, not again, specific to play style, but in terms of where we might see him get drafted and how the league might see them uh, into the league. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And, and, you know, Spears obviously is going to be, he's uh, the rise has already begun and and he can put a, a real cap on that in Indianapolis. And the two big ones for him, it's the athletic testing, which we'll get to see. Yep. Um, which that's going to be must see TV. There's going to be yep. a lot of people tuning in for, for the Tajay Spears testing. Yep. And then the other one, which we won't get to see, hopefully we get the media reports trickling out shortly thereafter, but the medicals. And mm-hmm. if, if, if it's a, if it's a big thumbs up on both those ones, he's going to soar up. And if, if it's a thumbs up on both of them, I don't think he gets out of day two anymore. Exactly. Like, I, I just don't see how a guy like that falls out of round three. I think that's probably where he ends up going is is the later half of round three. Yeah, if he can get above two oh five and run in the four four, I mean, if he can run the four threes at that, it's unbelievable. But I mean, even if he just runs four fours, you know, show he's going to be agile. He's going to be ex, he's going to be explosive. We know. I mean, if he's not, it's like what? How's that even possible? I mean, the kid just was popping off the screen uh, there in Mobile. Who else did you think was a winner at the running back position? I, I I'm curious to see what your next answer is yeah this guy is a bigger sleeper he's probably my number two uh running back there um but he's he's off the beaten path but i i really like him and he looked good on the field as well is evan hall from Northwestern. Yes. i love this yeah he, evan hall is way more skilled than people give him credit for um it's easy to overlook him for a, a variety of reasons but uh, you know, one of the leading ones is he was on a terrible, uh, in a terrible college situation. Like the only guy on his college offense that was good was Skaronsky. He's going to go in the first round, but the rest of the offensive line stunk. The quarterback stunk. The receivers stunk. And so the defenses could more or less just key in on, on Evan Hall. But he's a super versatile offensive weapon. 
Um, he, he was amongst this class's leaders in receptions, receiving yards, uh, percentages of snaps lined up in the slot, percentages of snaps lined up uh, out wide, uh, a dot for running back, like just a variety of receiving categories for running backs. Invariably in this class, he's either number one or in the in the top three of it. So the the receiving utility, it's it's there. It it is, and and that showed up in in Mobile. Like the guy is super duper smooth, um, and he knows how to get separation. He knows how to introduce doubt into the defender's head who's covering him, and then shake him right, like shake him at the break point when when, when you're going into your your break. Um, the the running uh, utility of Evan Hall, I think, is the underrated aspect of his game because I think some people just like they give him sort of the due credit for the passing stuff, but like. It's like, oh, he's just going to be a passing down back. Right. Um, I, I saw a lot of people heading into Mobile were saying he was going to run a 4-6. Saw a lot of people in their scouting reports say the long speed was a problem for him. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to put this. I think that they were basing that on perceptual things that didn't have anything to do with reality. Evan yeah, what, Hall, he, what he looks like or something? <laughs> what he looks like. Uh, right. I mean, far be it for me to accuse my media brethren of of being lazy with their evaluations. But yes, sir. Evan, Evan Hall was a track star in high school, number one. Number two, he doesn't look slow on the field. Number three, on that Wednesday morning media breakfast, he told us he's going to run in the four fours. Now, I, I think, you know, heading into Mobile, I thought he was going to run in the four fives. I would still put my money on the four or fives. Yes. I haven't seen Evan Hall run in his training. He seemed pretty confident. Um, I, I would definitely say I think there's a better shot he runs in the four fours than the four sixes. The four six stuff was farcical. Uh, he's going to have to trip to run in the four sixes. But he's going to run in the four fives. And like I said, he believes that he will run in the four fours. If he runs in the four fours, he's going to start to surge up some of these boards. But even running in, in the four fives, the rest of the stuff is there. Going back to the, the the running thing, and I've always thought that, like the the forty stuff and and like the long the idea of the long speed is overrated as far as like the the nuts and bolts of the running thing. Because so very rarely are you in the, the open field as a running back. There's so many traits that you would put above that. Like if you were stacking them in order of importance, and the the other traits above that, Evan Hall is pretty dang good at. He's got really good vision which I think he honed in part at because of the situation at Northwestern. He like, you remember uh, Cam Akers at Florida state, he played behind this, like this procession of terrible offensive lines. Like he just got like, it was just really unlucky, like his era of Florida state ball, but Cam Akers, when he came in, like when you were watching him those last couple of years, you could tell he had taken on some really bad habits, you know, like he was right. already sort of peeking up, like, you know, before he was even handed the ball of like, Oh Bingo. man, is it going to be? Is it going to be two guys in the backfield this time? I'm going to have to fight off, or is it going to be just one? You know, whatever. But Evan Hall, at least to my eyes on film, has not taken on those bad habits. He seems to have a better sense of like enemy at the gates and have a better idea of instead of instead of it like becoming tentative or instead of it like devolving into frustration. He he seems to be more proactive with his plan and like what this is another thing I I noticed in Mobile is like when he knows that sort of the spigot is shut off of the running lane that he's going to go to, he senses it pretty immediately and he'll get flat to the line and jut it outside. And he has the juice to get out there because probably the best part of his athletic profile, it's the short area acceleration and then lateral agility as well. 
so he he can do that sort of stuff. Um, and, and the lateral agility and 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 the short area burst that helps him greatly with it with the inside running as well. He's a tough kid as well. He'll break a few tackles. He's not a colossus or anything, but he he runs with toughness and he he's going to lower his shoulder as well. So I, I think he's underrated as a runner. I, I think of him a little bit as a runner of, of like similar to James Robinson. Like you have the same sort of thing with like the shiftiness and the contact balance and runs tough and stuff like that. But you're going to get more receiving utility out of him and more receiving diversification. And for some of these coaching staffs now where on every single snap, it seems like, you know, it's like shuffling the deck of where the skill position players are going to line up. You know, like you yeah. watch the Shanahan offense and it's like, oh, you know, where's Kittle going to be on this player? Where's Yuschek going to be on this? Like, you never know where they're going to line up. Um, a guy like Evan Hall would, I mean, he's for an offense like that, he's going to be super fun for one of those coaches to use because you can literally line him up wherever you want on any given play. Yeah, he, he, it's funny because I look down at where I have the, I have Tajay and Evan Hull back to back in my rankings currently. I love Evan Hull. Um, I love the pass catching. I love the size. What he weighing at like 5'10, 215? Um, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if he's 5'10, 215 and runs in the 4'4s, that's elite traits. You know, I, I'm not saying he's an elite running back. I'm saying those are elite traits. And, you know, yeah, he was a, he was probably not very good at the pass pro, I guess, at Mobile, but, Everything else, like he was really good, and I will tell you, he does look fast. Like you're right that um, I think people look at certain types of what they look like type of players, and they go, "Oh, saying, he's slow." Jack? Yeah, like he, you know, you look at his face; he looks like a slow faced guy. Like that's what he. Yeah. But no, it's like uh, you know, it's just stupid. So I, I totally agree with you. I, I want to see and, the testing Jack, on him. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. just to go like to data. Right. Because yeah. like right now, it's just like, oh, you know, this is what I saw. We actually have data for this for, right. for people out there. So, you know, the the senior bowl, they do the zebra tracking. Right. Yeah. So, and they, they get everyone's max speed. So you're you you have the, you know, sensors on you and whatever at all times. So hmm. like all your data from the event is fed into this thing and then they can put out all these interesting things from the running back room. Evan Hall was faster this week, his max speed than the following. Cameron Peoples, Kenny McIntosh, Eric Gray, Sir Roderick Thompson, uh, Roshan Johnson, and Chris Rodriguez. The only two running backs that finished above him in max speed, Tajay Spears, who was the only running back to get over 20 miles per hour this year. And then Chase Brown finished three one hundredths miles per hour ahead of him. So Chase Brown was just slightly ahead of Evan Hall. But again, Max high end speed on the field. That's the thing that matters. He was showing it on the field that that kid does not lack athleticism. He's not like a, the freakiest athlete ever. Right. But like the people that are saying that, like, he has athletic limitations. Get out of here. Like you're basing that on something that doesn't have to do with reality. Right. Yeah. That, there you go. Well, I love it. Yeah, you're right. He did have, you know, some success, uh, you know, as a yards per carry player um certain years but this last year is 4.1 and of course uh you know you're saying that that team sucked makes perfect sense i believe it um they were dog shit yeah. actually jack so i i this is the best stat i'm going to give out. i'm going to give out a lot of stats on this but this is the best one i'm going to give up okay there was only two teams last year in college football that were undefeated on a continent can you name those two teams <laughs> of course not <laughs> a continent come on help me out georgia Yes. 
and Northwestern. Uh-oh, I think I, I – tell me Cause, about Because Northwestern won that game in, in Ireland against Nebraska. Okay. And then Northwestern came back, and then they never won another game. They went, uh, Is that oh, how bad they were? I have no idea. Like, I didn't know they played in Ireland. So, uh, like, all my listeners are like, Jax, he's talking about the game in Ireland. I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, fuck it. This like guy's a little slow. college football last year because Northwestern, they came back, and they just got this shit kicked out of them every single game. Interesting. Uh, but – but Scott Frost, Nebraska, gave them that game. Another interesting thing, Scott Frost, he, he got like six more million dollars in buyout money if he got fired before a specific date. And so the first three games of the season, you could tell he was trying to lose. Like, mm-hmm. he was doing this the craziest shit you'll ever see. Like, you know, like random onside kicks or like, you know, crazy fourth down decisions. Or like, it was like basically like the opposite of like what good game theory is. But like, if if your game theory is to get six million extra dollars, like, <laughs> then it was brilliant. Then it was then, yeah, brilliant. You're at the yes. top of your game. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, a couple of other backs. Um, I'll just ask. Um, look, I have, I have a feeling that if I if I told you of the backs that were at Mobile, one of them turned into a top five dynasty running back in two years, what would that answer be? Um, I, I probably have to go with Spears. Interesting. Cause yeah. I was going to say, can that be Roshan Johnson who came into Texas as a five-star has a big body is a leader is just a real NFL sized back who could really carry the load and become a great back. Or am I overthinking Roshan Johnson a little too much? I don't think you're overthinking him from an NFL perspective. I, I do think that he's got a shot to become like a lead back for a team for yep. like, I, you know, he certainly like when, when you seen him down in mobile, like that guy is a unit. It's like, holy, <laughs> holy shit. Like right. he, he, that kid is built good. We only got to see him for one day, but he, right. he you know, cause he broke his hand or whatever on, on Tuesday, uh, by the way, finished practice with a broken hand. That guy exactly. don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, I, like, I, think I think he wanted I, to play in the game too. He's like, do I have to not play? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you have to not, play. you fucking got to get out of here. Bro. Yeah, no, th- they had to explain to him, Roshan, you have a broken head. You can't, you, you can't, pr- we like, we're not allowed to let you practice the rest of the <laughs> right. week. Yes. But, you know, it's like the Ronnie lot thing. He's like, cut it off. This, you yeah, know, fuck, like, I don't need, what, I got two hands, right? There's still fucking two of them. Yeah, fine. That's yeah. Fine. But no, I mean, I, I like the way he runs. He's obviously super physical and he's more athletic than you think. It, right. Obviously not a burner, but like, right multiple times in call like people that, that are going to watch this film one thing that's sort of a treat to watch you'll see him hurdle people numerous times like he's he jumped over defenders uh, many times in, in in college so like you know he, he has that stuff going for it. the one thing with the fantasy thing though where i would have a little bit of trepidation even though like i'm with you in terms of optimism about him overall is that on third downs as a receiving back he's got a long way to go Okay. Like right now, he's just the dump off guy. And obviously, Bijan, he, you know, a part of Roshan's entire evaluation, it's clouded by the fact that Bijan was the guy that started. Bijan exists, right? Yeah. Right. And then Roshan, when Roshan came in, the defense would be gassed. But then also, situationally, you would never choose to use Roshan, you know, in, in some of the, like, you know, catching the ball over Bijan. And right. invariably, when Roshan would get it, it was just like as, the fourth option checking down, you know, like when, when nothing else is available and then he would just run after the catch. But like, this was an opportunity in mobile for him. This is why I was disappointing that he broke his hand. Cause you wanted to see if, if the routes, you know, like sort of like Taj, the opportunity Tajay Spears got, is he a better route runner than we think? Are the hands better than we think? Can he, 
can he do more stuff outside of just like, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, basically? Um, we, we didn't get that opportunity. The one thing I will say, though, about the third down thing, for me, he's not the same with that as like Chase Brown, where I don't think you can play Chase Brown on third downs mm. like right away and maybe probably not ever. Right. Uh, Roshan is a very good pass blocker. And this class, there was a lot of guys who were struggling in in pass pro. And there's a lot of a lot of the young backs. That's something that they really, really struggle with. The NFL, they they really value the the blocking by the running backs and in the passing game. Like it's 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 one of the things I think that draft Twitter probably overlooks the most, specifically with the running back position. It's easily right. the thing that they overlook the most. But that that utility it keeps you on the field it, it, and it makes some guys playable. And with Johnson, that is what's going to keep him on the field on passing downs. I don't know He's how much. Dependable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, to the fantasy point, but he is playable on third downs. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be this like all purpose, like, you know, Eckler, you know, McCaffrey type top five more, you know, and again, he's, I don't think he's JT. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, he could be a guy who plays for a good team who, you know, uh, Ramondre Stevenson type of play. You know what I mean? Where it's like, where'd he come from? You know, it's like, oh shit, Roshan. Apparently he was good the whole time. He just played by, in other words, there's a built-in excuse, if you will, for why Roshan didn't dominate in college. It's His name is Bijan. You know, it's pretty simple. Now yeah. it's still possible that Roshan is just not that, not that good. I mean, he's just a good football player, but not that elite. But he kind of was elite from what I understand coming out of high school and then, you know, Bijan was like, oh, hey, buddy. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, shit, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? It was just he stole his girlfriend type of thing. And, you know, uh, Roshan had to fill a different role. And I suppose he could have transferred or whatever. But, you know, he was really good in, in the opportunities he had. And and here we are. And and so some in some ways it's like, well, maybe this is a diamond in the rough. And, and, and maybe it's just not. I, I don't know. But some of the peripherals I really like, some of the stories I'm hearing about him I really like, leader of the – of this Texas team. He was kind of the, you know, the, the, I don't know if he was, I think he was the captain of the team, everything, you know, like he's the guy. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, good things there. He ran pretty fast. I think you even just said it like he, uh, he, he wasn't slow on the field, but he's huge. He's like six foot two thirty. So, you know, Hey, if he can run like that and, and play like that, and if he gets some draft capital, like I said, I think the NFL may see him as a lead dog, you know, potentially, I mean, Brian Robinson type, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, a, yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah. And I, I think there's some some similarities. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Ramondre, you mentioned Brian Robbins. I, yeah. I think there are similarities there. You know, it's like you're you you can you have the footwork as a big back to make one guy miss in the hole with your cuts, and then you're able to run over a bunch of other kind of guys. So there's in those profiles, there there are similarities between those three guys for sure. Let's let's stay right with running back. I was going to do maybe losers later, but just touch on maybe a couple of losers or if I missed a winner or anything else you want to talk about, but especially maybe a, a couple guys that disappointed. Sounds like Chase Brown's one of them. Yeah, Chase, Chase Brown definitely, like, for me, like, that's just the list. Like, the you know, yeah. like, there's a couple other guys that were, like, nondescript, but, like, you know, if you're making a loser list with the running backs, for me, it, like, the whole list is, is Chase Brown. I, I was a little bit tepid on him coming in and and didn't have the highest bar for him and he even fell beneath my bar yeah um you know there's with his you know again you know like we were talking about with tajay you know you had you know his evaluation everyone's evaluation you have like clearly delineated strengths you have clearly delineated weaknesses and you're looking for these kids to go out merely just confirm the strengths and then you want them to start attacking those weaknesses or introducing doubt into those weaknesses and chase brown 
we never got to see the strength. Like the the thing that that leads to strength is Eval, where he did most of his damage is when he got into the second and then third level last year at Illinois, and then he'd be screaming downfield. Well, he ne- he didn't get the opportunity, or you know, he didn't break into the open field in Mobile. Illinois had a really good uh, run blocking offensive line last year that sort of escorted him out into that second level uh, quite a bit last year, and then he was like like I said able to scream out in, into the third level and then start outrunning people. But like he doesn't break a ton of tackles. He's right. not the, not the shiftiest running back in terms of making people miss, and he also lacks the true burner speed, at least right. to my eyes. And so it's like, well, this guy's like he's like you know, it's like a lot of his production comes from explosive yards. But he like how is he going to get out there into that second and third level to do that damage unless he's playing behind the league's best offensive line with like a, you know a really good coaching staff yeah. in terms of the usage that they're doing for for him and then. <laughs> If if he doesn't run in the, you know the the high four threes or in the low four fours, like is that even like is he even the best at that? So like th- right. that you know th- that's where I sort of came in. And then we and he's just, old. He's like a fifth year old. senior too, right? He's an yeah. old fifth year senior. Yeah, I mean I, for me it's like I, I'm with you unless he's really truly great. Then I'd rather pass in a dynasty draft, and and who knows, maybe the NFL will also be passing on him as well. Will will remain to be seen. What about Eric Gray? I think. Here's a player that two, three years ago, we were putting up hype hype tapes of him on the undroppables and people were loving it. And then he kind of fell off and now he's back again. What what are your thoughts about Eric Gray? Eric, Eric Gray was solid. Yeah. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, you know, he, he, some people like had him like as as one of the like running back winners. I like I probably wouldn't go that high, but like he was rock solid all week. Um, yeah. you know, every single day was consistently impressive um you know it wasn't like the Tajay Spears thing where it was like dropping everyone's jaw but like Eric Gray can play and like I I remember going back to when he was at Tennessee you could see the skill of his game and I thought when he transferred to Oklahoma that first year that he was just going to dominate and there was weird circumstances in that 2021 Oklahoma team where Lincoln Riley had one foot out the door and then it seemed like the last month of the season he just didn't care and Eric Gray was stuck in this weird quagmire platoon that they had. Like, and so he just didn't get yep. the touches that you wanted. We didn't get to see as much of him. So I was happy he returned to school. Right. And then this past year, it was another kind of a weird circumstance where the team was sort of dog shit. You know, they, they'd gone to Brett and Venables and like, you know, they, they just like the talent had really dropped off and everything like that. But Eric Gray got the touches this year and he was awesome on the field in Norman. Um, and, and, you know, he showed up and he, he was very impressive at, at the senior ball. What, what I like about him is like the full game, it, like it's a fully fleshed out game, right? Like there's a yes. whole bunch of different things you can do with him as a runner. He can beat you in so many different ways there, but then he also is a super skilled receiver. So like he, he's someone that might fall through the cracks a little bit on draft day. Cause it's not like, you know, there's, you know, Tajay Spears and his explosion or like, you know, of course, when you go up higher on the board, you know, all these different guys, you can like point to one thing and it's like, oh my God, that guy's that one thing. But right. like with Eric Gray, I'm not sure that there's like one thing, but it's like sort of the whole package with him. Sure. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say something. You tell me if this is a crazy statement. I don't know if I believe this one. I'm just asking it. I'll say it. Ready? Eric yeah. Gray is a better football player than Tank Bigsby. Crazy statement or no? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just, is it, yeah. is it possible? Is that true? Or, or 
I, I think it could be possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll have to see on that. Bigsby, he was in, he was in a weird circumstance in exactly speaking of weird circumstances. These, these last That's why I said it. Years. Yeah. Um, Bigsby, I, I need to get into his all 22 more to, because the, th- like the thing I'm curious about with him from last year is he got less touches, which I think that's more with the, the, their own coaching staff, which had one foot out the door and got, you know, Harson got fired in the middle of the season. But like, you're wondering it like, was, you know, was, was that a cam Akers kind of a thing where there, you know, was there, was there a lack of vision or was there any sort of tentativeness or, um, you know, anything like that, that started to get introduced there. I, I like tanks Bigsby earlier in his career, but like, yeah. you know, when I'm watching during the season, you're, you're seeing it from the, the television side. I want to, I want some of the, the cutups of Bigsby. I, I, cause I just haven't gone with him with all 22 yeah. yet, um, to see what he was seeing this, this past season. Um, so I, I'll need to wait. That's a long way of saying I need to get back to you. On the no, final. totally. I, I'm with you, but I you don't know, with, think it's like wild and crazy. With with Tank, I'm getting the Isaiah Spiller um, vibes oh, yeah. from last oh, from I last like year, yeah. right? Where it was like yeah. Isaiah Spiller was like the man freshman year. Tank Bigsby was like the man freshman year. Like, oh, this is the next pro. This is the guy. I can't wait. He, you know, when I was looking at this 2023 class, or, you know, it was like Bigsby, Bijan. You know what I mean? He was in the thing. He was part of the the guys that you're going to need. And yep. then it was like the same thing with Spiller when he was uh, a freshman. And then, yeah. He was good. You know, he wasn't bad. It's not like, oh, no, but he's bad. It's like he just never really was like – he didn't do what Bichon did. He didn't do the thing where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. This is the guy. And so for those reasons, I'm I'm just a little bit curious as to whether the NFL will sort of agree with that sentiment and 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 Bigsby falls into the fourth, fifth round, and he's yeah. a backup, and somehow Eric Gray finds fertile soil, and he's, a, he's an all-around player where he can play on third down, and he's – He's getting some looks and he's, you know, he's actually playing. And, and so I just wonder now that could be completely wrong. I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just sort of thought processing this thing and wondering where the NFL will see a, a player like gray versus Bigsby. I think they're both probably pretty solid players, but you know, I'm wondering if, 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 if we're overvaluing Bigsby based off that early production and early name. We, we could be. Yeah. And, and, and I think that I, I love that you evoked uh, Isaiah Spiller there. I, I think there are there are some parallels there. And I, I think like another important part of that comparison is one of the like the moments where you start to get that red flag about Isaiah Spiller. It's when like with his athletic testing last yes. process, like he, he ended up I'm, I'm looking at his RAS card now. He ended up a 57th percentile athlete, but he ducked the three cone. I think he might've been under the 50th percentile if he had run that old three going. <laughs> Probably. Tank yeah. Bigsby's athletic testing is it's going to be very important because he's another one of those guys where you don't really know a lot of his effectiveness yes. is between the tackles, you know, and in a phone booth and stuff like that. If he comes out and he tests poorly, like Spiller did, I think that's when you start to see the fall. I, I'm with you, right? If he comes out and you're like, no, no, I think he was just playing in a, like you said, there was a, a, a chaotic system and nope, he's got the skill set. And, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. I could go either way on that player because I'm just not sure. And again, I'm not a huge college football guy who knows, you know, the depth of it. So I'm, I'm taking a lot of my cues from, you know, a lot of a lot of guys who, who, who are in and around college football and then all the data that comes through this uh, this process, including, like you say, the physical testing. You know, it's, we learn a lot. And another guy we're going to learn a lot about, uh, I just want to touch it because I, I, Zach Charbonnet is a, is a player. I, I'm just dying to hear what you have to say about Charbonnet because I, I've got my own thoughts. What are your thoughts about Zach Charbonnet as a prospect? 
I like him. Yeah, I, you know, like uh, obviously started his career at Michigan, and then he yep. he went to the Pac-12, and it, it was kind of fun watching a big back like that in the Pac-12 and on such a fleet offense, like in the Chip Kelly yeah. offense, next to a you know dual threat quarterback like that. But yeah, I mean, he's he's he. When, when you think of Big Ten back, that's it's Zach Charbonnet. It's, right. it's, he's, he's the opposite of a Pac-12 back. Um, he, he he's a big hammer back. Um. He, he's a, you know, I mean, like we know that he's not going to test the most, you know, he's not going to have that, that straight line speed as some of these guys. And <clears throat> we'll have to see like where the jumps and some of the agility stuff is. But like, as far as a pure runner uh, at his size, I, I like him. Uh, his testing is, it, that's going to depend on where he falls for me. Like, you know, between like, you know, full running back four and seven or eight on my board or whatever. But like, yeah. assuming the testing's there, like he's, he's going to be a decent ways up there. Yeah, and I, I've I've comped him to David Montgomery, um, mm. who was a great football player, didn't have that breakaway speed, but was able to break tackles. And then, you know, if you remember David Montgomery was a great pass catcher. Zach Charbonnet, man, he caught a lot of balls here in that Pac-12. I mean, he he proved to be a pretty reliable pass catcher. Yep. And if the NFL sees him that way as a David Montgomery type, a player who can play on all three downs, all four downs, all right, uh, you know, uh, and catch the ball in, in high leverage situations, as you as you point out, he's a hammer, so he could be a touchdown scorer and a PPR player. That's a pretty valuable player. He's not. I don't think he's elite in terms of his skill set. I don't think he's like this elite back, but I think he fits right in there as a as a as a fantasy asset if he finds himself a starting role. Yeah, and you know, speaking to the the passing game thing, um, and and this is something you, you like to see from prospects where they start off their career with um, a weakness or maybe just somewhere in high school, they just didn't work on it. So it's just like a dormant skill or whatever. And and then they, throughout their career, you see it get better, better, better. And then it takes like a leap right before they go to the NFL. That, that was sort of Charbonnet with the receiving stuff. Like earlier in his career, you know, it was the dump off stuff where it just wasn't, you know, as usable. But this past season, he turned into a legitimate weapon in, in, in that area. Like his A dot, is you know it's well above the the median point in in terms of this class yeah. receiving grade was really high um catch rate was really high for running backs and everything like that so sh- showing that stuff and he's obviously anytime he has the ball in his hands whether he got it handed off to him or thrown to him he is uh, a handful like my 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 comps right now I'm I'm between uh AJ Dillon and James Conner with him but yeah. it's like you know it's like s- somewhere in there some somewhere along that phylum yeah I love it well, moving on to maybe we'll maybe we'll go back to some of these other prospects as we finish the show, but I certainly want to get to the wide receivers. Um, when you talk about the wide receivers at Mobile, there's always how do I say this? I guess there may be some good ones, but there's generally less depth than there is at the running back position, or at least there can be, and and, and generally is right. And I think that's probably the case with the overall class. There was a player that I fell in love with before the senior bowl that I said would excel at the senior bowl, namely because I think he's really awesome, but also because the the format is just perfect for him. And that was tank Dell. And yep. he did that. Um, my question about tank Dell is, is this more of a format fit? And, you know, he was bound to just be great there and we're overrating his true skill and translatability to the NFL or is he the real deal? Um, It's, it's both. Um, yeah. like his, his skill set was perfectly catered to the senior bowl. And the reason why is because nobody can stay with him in one-on-one oh. in the open field. Nobody in college could. And, and yeah, he comes from the G five, 
but like you know, I I went through like the that game. You know, I, I followed his whole career, but like you know, I remembered watching him cook against the really good teams because he was yes. always the the one guy that Houston had, and Toon would would force him the ball. You know, especially when they were playing the better opponents. And Tank Dell ripped up the four power five ball team opponents that he played the last two years. He also ripped up Cincinnati's playoff team uh, year before last when they had Sauce Gardner and they nice. had Cook and they had a Kobe Bryant kid and like, you know, all that different stuff. So like he's proven it there. Um, the, the other thing is uh, when one thing I like about him, when you're talking about a guy who's like sort of an anomalous prospect, as far as like his size with uh, uh, he came in at, he checked 165, 163, I think yeah. five, five, eight, uh, close to five, eight and a half. And then 163 for, for a guy that that small, you're like, you know, you, you're wondering about like the production profile and he's, he's just going to be sort of like a utility player, like whatever. Uh, Tank Dell is different than, for instance, a guy like Tutu Atwell, where Tutu Atwell at Louisville, he really only had two utilities. You'd either chuck it out to him right after you snap the ball on a funnel screen and then you just watch Tutu run around and try to like, you know, outrun the defense or whatever. Or it was a fly route. He was he was going deep, but like in the intermediate area, Tutu Atwell did very little during his his college career, and he proved even less as a route runner. Uh, like period. Like again, it was just like those were the two things he was doing. He was there was no nuance to his game. Tank Dell, his entire game is nuance. Like you know, all all three years he was on campus, he was winning at all four sectors, as as PFF would say. Uh, Tank Dell, I think two of those three years, he had a 90 or above receiving grade at all four sectors. Last year, or one of the years, it was three out of four. And I think Tutu Atwell only got to three out of four in one of his three years. And in uh, two of the three years, it was either like one or two of the sectors that, that he was above 90. So it's a totally different thing in that regard. Tutu Atwell has him in straight line speed, and that's about it. Uh, Tank Dell is a, a far more skilled player, way better route runner. Um, he's way more sudden uh, coming out of the route breaks and stuff like that. Um, he's just so fluid with, with the changing directions and, and has a really good understanding of the routes as well. People, who, the cornerbacks who had just been getting torched by him on Tuesday at, at, in practices in Mobile, they were sick of it. And on Wednesday, <laughs> right. you, you started to see uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, down there at the Senior Bowl, it's kind of cute. They have like these play refs out there with the, the little flags or whatever. And they rarely throw the flags. You know, they're just sort of out there for decoration or whatever. But like on the, the Tank Dell reps in the one-on-ones on Wednesday, you started to see a flag dang near every single time because the cornerbacks would just start grabbing him out of his route breaks. They're like, you're not doing that to me again. You're not embarrassing me in front of all these guys. So they would just take a penalty to get to the next rep so they wouldn't get embarrassed. It, yes, wow. the, the, the event was catered to Tank Dell because of his <laughs> skill set and because he's so fabulous at that. But he is a player as well. I love it, dude. I I'm telling you, the, you know, I am I am not. I have been anti small wide receiver for a long time. Like, I had no interest in Tutu Atwell. I undervalued Marquise Brown. Like all of that's it, my, I'm like that's out. My for, that's my comfort zone, by the way. Is Hollywood Marquise? Brown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you, you uh, here's the thing. Like, if you just say small guy, fast, one at the Senior Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm over it. Small school, the whole thing. You turn on the film and you're like. You just don't see guys go from, I say from hash to hash. In other words, you know, when he's in and out of his break and just moving across the field, it's like all the other players look like they're like stuck in cement. And like, he's just like, whoop. And and he's just like open. You're like, oh my, that's a different kind of movement. And you saw that type of movement 
here at the Senior Bowl. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing that, you know, oh, well, then he's going to be a fucking all pro. I'm just saying it's a, it's a unique skill set. And if he can, like, I guess my point is I think he can play slot and and Z. Like, he can stretch the field. Like, he's really fast. Like, he's not just a fast player. He can be Cole Beasley and Deshaun Jackson. Again, I know he's not the ultimate combination of both those things but like he can do both of those things is what i'm trying to get at Mm -hmm. and so at the end of the day that's a really strong utility he's not just one or the other is my is my point yeah a thousand percent yeah i mean like so i'm gonna have him rated as a a round two guy and probably probably in the top half of the round two um because i might even um have him ranked as the wide receiver five beneath the the consensus i really like tank tell but like if i was drafting him it would be you're coming in immediately. You're my starting slot, but yes. I like the point that you made about I wouldn't categorically rule out the the outside. That's you just like you know in in terms of situational usage for stuff like that. Right, it, it's something where you're gonna have to see. Um, the the one question about is evaluate. You know, and of course this goes back to the size thing. People wonder when NFL corners get their hands on him and press him at the line, what's gonna happen? Yes, he was that's a problem. Away. He yeah. was getting the free releases almost almost always in Mobile, but there was one guy that was giving him problems, and it's probably who you would guess. It was Julius Brents, the kid with you know eighty three inch wingspan or whatever. Like yeah. on, on Tuesday, Tank was having a hard time getting off the line against everyone was having a hard time getting off the line against Julius Brents on on Tuesday. But like you know that that's one thing that you're you're curious about. But like just as far as like Tank Dell coming in and immediately starting and immediately contributing in an NFL offense. I have no doubt about that at all. And and right. that's he's a better player, for instance, and there's no doubt in my mind than, for instance, Wandale Robinson or like some of these other, you know, smaller slots that we've seen going yes. in round two in recent years. Um, he's way better player than Kadarius Tony. You can do way more things. He, he went round one, but like, right. Um, you know, you just stack them up against some of these other guys who have gone in comparable range. I would take, take, take Dell over, over all of them. That's that's well said. I mean, yeah, obviously, uh, K- Kadarius was. A, look, let's not go there. I, I've I've said my piece on Kadarius. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, we don't need to. Do that. But what's interesting is like you know I was thinking about this because I do the anatomy of a wide receiver. I do the anatomy of every player, and what we've seen with the wide receiver position is it's gotten smaller uh, and faster. It's actually gotten smaller and faster. That's been something that's happened um, over the last five years or so. And you can kind of think about think about the players that were good in the, you know, as far back as you want to go. And there was more pro set, right? More two wide receiver, more uh, ability uh, for the cornerbacks to, to, to put their hands on receivers. So you needed bigger, stronger, you know, contested catch players because it was almost impossible to get open because if you were small and, you know, shifty, they just grab your ass. And yep. doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really matter. You're not open because I'm holding you. And, you know, we used to be able to hold them within five yards, the whole thing, right? Well, now a lot of those rules have changed and they put more wide receivers on the field, which means one of them can be moving or, you know, obviously only one of them can be moving. But that slot guy can can move and get behind another wide receiver and create the ability to not be pressed at the line. And that is a value where he can play, right? And a lot of these, a lot of these smaller guys, Hey, look, you know, Wandale was pretty good this year, actually, right? And even the guy who played for him when he was hurt, Richie James, you know, was pretty good, right? These types of players are starting to become a little bit more of a utility in the league and a little bit more voluminous, voluminous, uh, because of the way that the ball has to come out quicker. You know, the, the, actually, the A dot has gone down 
over the last couple of years. It's very interesting the way the league is changing. And I do believe that Tank Dell has a skill set to fit into that. And I think you're right that he is better than like the, the likes of Tutu Atwell and some of these other players. And he may be closer to Marquise Brown. And if he is on the Marquise Brown uh Tyreek Hill spectrum. If he's approaching that type of player, he does have actual fantasy upside. You know, I've said it a few times, like a guy like Henry Ruggs might've been a good NFL choice, but I was never picking him as a fantasy player because I didn't think he was going to ever get volume in the league. He was basically just a stretch, you know, a slot guy can get a lot of looks. Um, I think he's more than a slot guy and he could be a volume guy. It's possible. So I'm with you uh, that I think he he is going to be a guy that I'm looking at in rounds two and three, depending, of course, how high he gets in rookie drafts. But as he is right now, I, I would be smashing Tank Dell in round three uh, of my rookie draft. Thousand percent. Yeah. And and he's going to be able to handle the usage or like, you know, for people that are in the, the PPRs, he's yeah. going to catch a lot of balls because they're going to manufacture touches for him, of course. But again, like he can win at all levels of the field. Yeah, he's so be it, it'll, be, it'll be really inter- interesting to see what team he ends up getting yes. on. It, it would be really fun if he ends up getting on a team that has just an all-world outside receiver. Like, I mean, yes. obviously, I'm coming from Minneapolis, and the Vikings are probably Ooh. need two receivers this process. Like, if, if you know, if they get rid of Thielen or whatever, but how fun would it be to see Tank Dell working on the inside of Justin Jefferson? And then you have <laughs> Holy Hawkinson, shit. you have to worry about in the intermediate area too. Like, yeah, dude, in a situation like that. Yes, that would be would be pretty cool. Yeah, there are some really dream scenarios for him, and he's an exciting player to think about because what he's capable of doing is pretty cool. Uh, outside of him, was there any anybody else that you would say has any sort of you know translatable you know premium fantasy uh, upside? Yeah, of the um, the receivers, some of the other ones that that caught our eye, uh, Michael Wilson of Stanford. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he was, you know, just covering college football. He was a guy that I liked when I saw him on the field at Stanford, but he was frustrating over the years because, you know, he, he would play and then he'd, he'd have like, you know, eight catches for, for 87 yards. And then he, but then he would like, you know, strain a hamstring or he'd have some other, he'd, you know, suffer some other like nagging injury. Then he'd be out for two games and then he'd come back and you have to like ramp up for a couple games. So he'd have like four catchers and then six catchers. And then he might go ballistic for another game. And then, but then he'd have another injury. And it was just like his whole career was stop and start and stop and start. But every yeah. time he was out there, he looks like an NFL receiver. Like he he's built really well. He measured into the event at uh, 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 six, well, almost six, two, 216 pounds. Wow. Um, he's got big, almost 10 inch hands, um, you know, and he, he goes and gets it. He knows how to run the routes. And when you bump him down, like down the, the field or whatever, it doesn't phase him at all. And he knows how to use his body really well. He's one of those body control guys. So his ball skills and, and all that sort of like, it was really playing up there. Um, and he was shaking people, I think more along the route tree than, than people were expecting. But even when people were contesting at the catch point, he was consistently making plays. So he, he was a big riser. Um, Puka Nakua is a guy that we didn't get to see as much because he was out of the event after Tuesday. I don't know if he suffered an injury or, or if he just pulled himself, but I really like Puka Nakua. Um, he, he's a guy like maybe if we'd seen him more, he would have been considered more of a riser. But right. I think you can do a whole bunch of different things with that dude. And I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Um, and hopefully he goes out and he proves that in Indianapolis. But he's be pretty big, uh, six, uh, I guess, six one and a quarter. 206 
Um, and BYU would play him on the outside, but they move him around a little bit. And they, he's one of those guys. There's not a ton of college guys like this. Um, that's sort of what stuck out about Christian Watson last year was the the lengths that NDSU went to get the ball into his hands, not just in the receiving game, but like, you know, manufacturing all this other nonsense just to manufacture touches for him. That's what BYU would do with Puka. And it's funny that they, they actually went a little bit too far with it. Uh, I think it was against uh, in September they were playing, uh, I think it was South Florida. And I, I hope I'm getting this right. I don't have this in front. This is off of memory. But they, they gave they gave Puka an end around and he runs it for a touchdown. And I think they gave him a second one. And I believe he also ran that end around for a touchdown, both in the first quarter. So they tried it a third time in the first in the first quarter. That time, South Florida, who had just this abomination of a defense, that time they were like, no, no, the first two times are okay, but the third time you're not doing it. They all swarmed Puka. So it was like Puka on like eight guys. And then Puka gets injured. And then he was out for like three or four games. And it's like, BYU, we get it. But like you can't just be doing this nonsense to Puka all the time. But like um my my colleague Derek Brown, for some of these reasons, you know, the the different usage and and, and the juice that you see out of Puka, you know, when, you know, on, on some of these plays, he refers to him as Debo light. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and I, I don't know if I, I want to evoke Debo like that, but like Puka has a more diversified skill set and he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. So I, I had to give him a little bit of a shout out too. Yeah. He had uh, basically 40 carries in his final two seasons at BYU, yeah. which is notable. That's a lot. You know, I mean, if a guy gets, you know, five or 10 carries at, from the wide receiver position a year, that's being utilized as a runner. Uh, so he had 25 carries and five touchdowns. So the, <laughs> you might've been right about all those uh, reverses turning into touchdowns immediately. Cause he had five rushing touchdowns, which is pretty I good. I hope I remembered that sequence. Yeah, right. It's close enough. I mean, you know, close enough, pretty but he, sure he, yeah. he's a career 16, you know, 16 and a half yards a catch. So he's a big play player. Um, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting because these guys are like, you know, outside of like what we talk about in fantasy, like, you know, he's probably not going to be a one or two on a team. You know what I'm saying? And that's really what you're looking for because after that, it's just a bunch of like good players. You know, whereas a, a running back, you know, you're, you you get in there and, you know, Khalil Herbert, you know, all of a sudden you're a starter. You're you're a top 15 back in the league for the week that you're starting. You know what I'm saying? So you're looking for those guys that are backups as running backs, whereas, you know, the depth of, you know, what, you know, Slayton. You know, you, he's been he's been in the league for how long? He's a pretty good player, but he's almost never startable. He had a couple startable weeks this year. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, is he good? He could be nobody again next year. You know, and that's a pretty good NFL player. You know, if if uh, you know if Michael Wilson could say he could be turned into you know Slayton, he'd be like, no, nah, it's pretty good. You know, so you, you yep. get the drift. Um, what about the Andre Yusovas? I think I said his name right. The the kid out of Princeton. Um, he, he was supposed to be really fast. I saw you point out that he was very fast. Um, is he any good? Yeah, that's that's a longer <laughs> question to answer. I, and by the way, as far as the pronunciation, he actually changed it like while we were there um, because before it was uh, uh, like in the pronunciation guide at Princeton, it was it was Yoshi Vosh, Yoshi Vosh, and so that's how I was I was pronouncing it. And then he corrected us and said it was. UC Vosh, I think is, but anyway, well, 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 well we got more, to, we got a couple months to, to work on that. Um, well, it, 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 look, it will determine if he's any good, we'll give him a nickname. Otherwise he's just that kid from Princeton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough one to pronounce either way, yeah. whichever pronunciation he's going with. Um, the 
tools were on display. Um, yeah. and, and the tools are Christian Watson like. He's six, uh, Yoshi Vaz is 6'3, 205, was an FCS All American. He's a track god. Like he owns NCAA track records. Like he's not just a, like a star or a participant. Like he dominated kids in, in, in the track events. And so, like, you have all that Feldman freak lister. You have, you have all that stuff going for you. And on tape, you knew you had the downfield utility, uh, number one, because he, he's got some ball skills uh, downfield. He'll go up and get it. And the other thing that was cool about the way they used him is he'll just do, like, the, the simple crossers or the simple slants. Or the, 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 like, they're, they're clear, uh, Princeton would clearly try to clear out sort of the intermediate sector. You know, it's like, uh, I guess, in going back to another basketball analogy, it's like, you know, uh, what, what do you call it? Clear out or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so then you'd have the open thing and then the, the Prince and quarterback would just try to hit him on the hands and then it would be everyone in the stadium was just holding their breath to see if he could get around the corner. Cause then he would just start erasing angles. Like, right. and there was a couple of times he did and he just took the ball like 78 yards. There was like, you know, the, both the safeties are like, you gotta be effing kidding me. As this guy's running, you know, just erase this, you know, advantageous angle the kid had coming down on him. Um, but like in, in Mobile, I thought Tuesday and Wednesday, he performed pretty well where, where you saw more of that stuff. Um, the, the, the hands looked pretty good. Uh, I didn't see many drops on, on those first two days. And he was able to display the speed a bit as, as well. Um, one interesting thing, we, we had talked to him after the practice on Wednesday, and I, I found it really interesting. He referred to himself as raw. Like hmm. and, and without prompting. And I, I found that really interesting because I thought he had had a really good two days of practice. And so, was, OK, the next day on Thursday, he had a terrible day of practice. Um, mm-hmm. That's where all the, you know, the other parts of his the raw aspects were, were coming out. Like he he looked like his feet were a little bit stuck in quicksand with the routes or like, you know, the the cornerback sort of like, you know, had like a script of where he was going kind of a thing. He, he was having yeah. more way more trouble. Uh, separating and then he, the dropsies, which were not an issue before, he, he had a couple balls clang off of his hands on Thursday. One of the things you were wondering with him, it's like the the physical package is amazing, but like the the strength and the contact balance, it was a real question because he didn't really block at Princeton like you know, at all. And so you're like wondering, like, did they just you know, is it like, oh, you're our star player and you're way better than anyone we've had here, so. Well, you know, you don't have to do that. You, you can put your effort <laughs> right. in the other stuff. Or is right. he just sort of like allergic to contact? Because sometimes like down his route, you could see people bumping him a little bit. And, you know, he's a bigger kid. Like it, it should, you know, some of these glancing blows, like a Michael, like a Michael Wilson doesn't affect him at all. Like any sort of contact, you know, down, right. down, down the field. But like with, with Yoshi Vaz, it did a little bit more. Um, and so that was some of the stuff that you were seeing manifest well, on it- in that way, he differs from Christian Watson. In that way, he differs from Christian Watson quite a bit because Watson was a hell of a blocker. So, yes, and it, yes, and and Watson didn't care about that physicality downfield either. Like he yep. needs that shut up. So, yep. yeah, like long, long or short story long. I guess uh, in, in in response to that is that all the the physical tools are, are all there, and he's going to blow up the combine. But he needs a little bit of time. It's it's not going to be a thing with Watson. We're like he's contributing down the stretch his first year. Like yeah. I, I think the first year he's, he's going to need time to marinate. Um, yeah. And he's probably more of a day three guy, but the, the totally. tools for I a day agree. three receiver, very intriguing. A toolsy day three receiver. I think that's right. Yeah. Hey, I asked you if there was a guy who posed some upside and you avoided saying the name of a player who could be overrated. Is he in Rashi Rice? Oh yeah. Um, Rashi Rice. Uh, he, yeah. I mean like coming in, 
I'm, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts on Rishi Rice because, like, <laughs> sounds like a yes to me. I love this. Yeah, well, no, well, it's great. It's great. Well, it's weird because, like, some people going into the event, like, they had him as like a first rounder, right? Yes. But then, like, other people would have him as more like a fifth rounder, and like, wow. But like, it was hard for me to like, you know, or like a fourth round. But like, I couldn't really, you know, get into that discussion because, like, I didn't see him as really either of those things. Like, you know, I I see him as a, a day two guy and probably the the latter half of of day two, and yeah, like. Like, I like his feel for the position. I like his ball skills. I, I like the route running. But, like, I, I I didn't think, like, when I was watching him at SMU that, like, I was watching an elite athlete. And so that's that was sort of where the, the bridge of, you know, getting into round one was a little bit too far for me. Yeah. And in, in Mobile, like, he, you know, I mean, he wasn't dominant or anything. Like, he didn't jump right. off the field. I, some people were saying he was struggling. I didn't really think like, I, I think that was more a comment in regards to the expectation coming in. Right. But again, I didn't have that expectation on him. Like for me, like looking at him as like a you know third round pick, like, you know, mid third round, whatever, like for, for that kind of a guy, he basically just hit it down the fairway. If, I, I, I think like the people calling him disappointing, if they viewed him that way going in, like then maybe, they were maybe like Wicks. Right. Yeah, they, yeah. They just would have said he had a, a decent week, nothing special, but that's, that's sort of how I saw him. Is he is he better than Jaden Reed or is Jaden Reed better than him at football? That's tough because they're they're so different. I know. Uh, J- yeah, Jaden Reed, he Jaden Reed, and and I'll say this, Jaden Reed, he's better than I thought. And Jaden Reed, right? Moved, that's what I mean. Like he yeah. he like exceeded expectations. Maybe Rushy yeah. came down. Well, now where do those two things intersect? Is like Rushy Rice's bad game or bad showing? still better than what Jaden Reed is as a player. I mean, obviously it's one week of practice. I understand that, but Jaden Reed showed out was a quote unquote winner, but did he elevate himself past a player like Rasheed Rice or is that just a bridge too far? You know, it's like, those are the questions I have, right? Yeah. For me, it'd be a bridge too far. Yeah. Um, like, like I, you know, like I said, I, I'd have Rice, you know, mid to late third round somewhere in there and uh, Reed probably right now, I don't late fourth round, like so, somewhere yeah. in there, maybe mid fourth round. But like, yeah, I I'd still have probably around, maybe even a round and a half between them. But like something like that. But but heading into the event, I would have had and, and this, you know, me putting my hand up, I would have had Reed more as like a seventh round guy. But he he opened my eyes up as both the movement because in person it's like, man, this, this for real. It's not just the speed. It's he's a really really fluid mover and he knows how to use it. Like in 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 the routes, he has a really good understanding of what he's doing. But he also has the ball skills for a guy who's like not enormous. He he can win downfield. And, and you can do a couple of different, you know, you could, he, he could potentially be a boundary receiver. You could play him in the slot. There's different things you could do with him. But yeah, with, with rice, that that's more the profile of a guy that I think can come in and start for me on one of the boundaries, right? Like we go back to the Vikings. If the Vikings took Rishi rice in round three, I think he's coming in next year and starting across from Justin Jefferson on, on the other boundary. And so that's like, I think there's just a little bit more cost certainty with rice. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, well, boy, oh boy, we've, we've done pretty good. We're, we're, we're well into this thing, man. I knew this would happen. You know, I, I wrote a show sheet and I said, ignore it because we're just going to fucking roll. And we did. But I do want to touch a couple quick things. Maybe is there anybody I forgot in the uh, it, it, that you really want to mention in the wide receiver or running back group that before I move on? Oh, like Trey Palmer. Palmer Palmer probably uh he he's right around Reed he might he might have got not gotten as much ink but it's it's a similar thing that he, he moves real well and he was stranded in a bad college situation last year just like Reed was so for for me those guys are are in fairly similar like a a, a grouping or whatever 
Yeah. Um, I, I guess like, you know, I haven't talked about the the losers of this group yet. So maybe Please. I'll talk some of those. Please go. The Elijah Higgins kid is not good. Um, so it, <laughs> like, he's just not good. Um, he thinks he's like a matchup nightmare guy that you can put in all these different spots. He can't play receiver. Uh, he, he couldn't separate from any of those guys and his ball skills down. Like your ball skills and your body usage has to be really good downfield to make up for if, if you're just inviting everybody to the catch point right. and his were not. Right. Um, and his hands weren't perfect either. So he like he now has and, and by Thursday, they had moved him to the tight end group, which is something mm. that I thought should have happened right from the start of the week. Because like on film, I, I just didn't see an NFL receiver. The rest of Higgins's process, he's going to have to prove to evaluators like, you know, I'm either a big slot or I'm a, you know, could I be an H back or, you know, eventually get to tight end. But for me, I don't I wouldn't use a draft pick on that kid. For me, he's undraftable. Um, but yeah, that. Xavier Hutchinson was okay. No, nothing special, but, um, you know, if, if, if you like the, the sort of tackle break and slot guy, but like cap the explosion, you know, a volume kind of guy, like you, you could go with him. I'm not the, the hugest fan of his, but I, there are people that, that are, and I can see why. And Dontavian Wicks, I should tell you. That, that was my next question. I was going to say, yeah. b- between Xavier Hutchinson and Dontavian Wicks, you prefer Wicks. I would take Wicks for sure, yeah, because I don't think Hutchinson can win on the outside in the NFL. I I, I don't think, like, his routes aren't good enough. He's not a sudden enough athlete. I, I do think, you know, we saw Hutchinson win from the slot in college, and you see him breaking all the tackles. And I think that's where the, the usage would be in the NFL, try to match him up against some of the smaller nickel defenders. And he like, and he's got the thick calves and everything like that. Like he, his lower half is built more like a running back. So I, I think that's where, where you want him. But like Wicks is going to win on the outside in the NFL because his route running is legit. There was a couple of times where like, he actually clowned cornerbacks just with the footwork and just with the route running where like they, they would have all their body weight going one way. And then he would just very subtly go the other way. And, and the guy, you know, was t- like almost doing the splits on the field and the, the crowd did the ooh and ah. There was very few receivers out there that were shaking them that bad just with the technique of the way they were running routes. But Wicks was doing that. So it was very impressive. Nice. Um, quarterback. I mean, there's no quarterbacks here, right? There, I mean, honestly, there's only losers at the quarterback position except for Jay Kaner. P- pretty much, and I'll, I'll toss in Hennon Hooker too, just well, because. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, look, Hennon Hooker didn't participate, so for no, me, he didn't that's... participate. But like, based on the shit show of the other guys, he acquitted yeah. himself pretty well, just by <laughs> you know. Yeah, but like the, the guys outside of Hainer basically sucked. Um, right. And Hainer, it's not like Hainer lit the world on fire, but he was just he was what he was on film. He was what he was the last you know three years or whatever with with Fresno. He's he's small. He's not a good athlete, you know, he's average or less athlete and he doesn't have a howitzer for an arm, but like he makes super fast decisions. He's in control all the time, knows yep. what he's doing, super duper comfortable in the pocket. It's like he's been living in the pocket since he got out of the womb or whatever. Right. And he, he makes the quick decisions. The ball comes out quick and it comes out on the hands almost every single time with these yeah. other quarterbacks. He's he, brought he, Purdy. Yes. I mean, like there were so many people coming into this event, like beforehand, they would make the argument that like Stetson Bennett, he's the the Brock Purdy of this class. Mm. Not for me. Jay Kaner is the Brock Purdy of this class because they do a lot of the same, the you know, the decision making and the yeah. you know, can run the system and, and and all that sort of stuff. You know, Brock Purdy was playing an NFL system at at, at Iowa State, and yeah. um, Hayner has played for a couple really he played for a couple awesome offensive minds at Fresno State. Kalen DeBoer and gone on to Washington now and you know, immediately turned around that offense and then Jeff Tedford been around, whatever. But like that sort of stuff was what Hayner was doing really good. And I will say too, 
he reminded me some, uh, not as far along the line of continuum, but like the year before, I remember the very first day we go down there, we're watching the quarterbacks warm up before the first session. I was standing by Eric at home and then a couple of my workers for coworkers with NBC at the time. And we're looking down on the field and we seen Bailey Zappi out there, he's, you know, and he's just curious, right? Cause like he just broken the, the records, whatever, but like he came out and he was, he was a little bit thicker than we thought. He was a little bit bigger on the field, but he started throwing. It's like, does he have a stronger arm than, than you thought? And it's like, yeah, like, like right from the jump, Bailey Zappi's arm looked zippier than we had thought watching on television. Jake Hayner was a similar thing. Mm. It, it wasn't quite like to that degree, but like it was definitely zippier than, than, than we all thought. Um, and so like he acquitted himself on that pretty well. He still needs to throw his entire body weight into the throw, like when it's going 40 yards plus and, and like when it's going way down feel like that, he'll, it, it, it starts to get into the, like the rainbow shots. But I will say for him, whereas some quarterbacks like that who just lack that, you know, uh, ability, they'll do that and they'll sort of go YOLO with it. Yeah. Jake Hayner never goes YOLO. Like when he goes deep, he the one thing he's good at with it, the accuracy still more or less remains. And he's pretty good at just dropping that thing like out of the helicopter, like right into into the bucket like that. And when he doesn't have the best of it, you'll notice he always sails it towards the sideline. He never puts the ball up for grabs for the defensive back. But yeah. that was something that we saw from the other quarterbacks in, in, in this one. And just jumping to, to the biggest loser, I thought he was a guy on the same team that we saw basically as a flip mirror image of Jay Kaner. And it's one of the reasons why this guy, I think, came across even worse. But I thought he had the, the worst week of, of practice was Jaron Hall. Mm. And it was it was really too bad for him because I thought he had the most to gain here in terms of like the quarterback who had the highest band of outcomes of rounds coming in. Because that was a guy, th- there was people that were, this, this guy's QB5, right? right? Like, th- this, this is a guy who's going maybe even second round, and if not third round, he's going on day two. But like, uh, you know, th- he also could fall down potentially if he had a bad process. And this was a-, a bad start in that regard. The accuracy was wonky all week long. He would miss short, then he'd get in his own head, he'd start, you know, rearing back, he'd start missing high for several reps. He, even ones where they were complete, they were bad placement that the receiver would have to go off of his path to, you know, you know, reel in one of these balls outside of his frame and kill a yak opportunity. And then like, even outside of that, the accuracy issues, it wasn't good. He was making bad decisions. Lolly popped a couple interception to defenders. Even when there was no pass rush, he had a couple of reps that were just like, what are you doing? Like there was this one rep where there was no pass rush. It was just like, I think it was, it was either three or four receivers, and then you had the defensive backs. And it's a pretty paint-by-numbers thing. It's just the reps for the receivers and the DBs. And as a quarterback, you just look around, and you toss it to one of them. Well, on this one specific <laughs> rep, Jaron Hall, he just keeps patting the ball. And, like, the receivers, you know, they're out there. And, and everyone in the crowd's like, when's this guy going to throw it? And I think the receivers were even like, why isn't he throwing? And he finally cocks the ball to throw. And when he does, it just spins out of his hands. He fumbled the ball with no pass rush. And it, it was, was like, like a bad like, dream. Yeah, it was like six seconds like after. Like when, like, it's like when you're I've, – I've had this dream like because I played quarterback and I have this this recurring nightmare where I just – like I'm in the dream and like I can't throw the ball anymore. Like I, I, I'm readjusting the football in my hands and every time <laughs> I – it's just ground ball diggers and like I just cannot actually throw a football anymore. It's That's what he did. He had the, he had the Chuck Knobloch. He did. He there. There was definitely some yips out there. And to that point, like, and and this is one of the the things like where being in person, you get a sense for it of 
his game on on there were some natural elements to his game when you watch him at BYU and he he comes from a family of athletes he's a former baseball player and so he can do some cool things you didn't yeah. see other quarterbacks do he can throw from the multiple angles he can throw on the run is shit that we see former shortstops do, right? right? Like, and that's why you don't see some of these traditional guys that are in the throwing camps their entire life that never play baseball. They don't try shit like that because nobody right. would teach you that. But Jaron Hall would, would do so natural elements to a game or whatever. But like one thing I, I I was starting to pick up on in Mobile is that kid gets in his head, and I don't know if he had a bad week or two leading up to that, or if this is just something that is always the case. And it wasn't just me that was noticing this of like. He would have a, like, like I mentioned before, he would have like a rep where it would like, he'd put it, you know, six, seven yards in front, like the ball would die there in front of an open receiver. And then like, he'd sort of, you know, hit his helmet. And then the next rep that he had, he'd he'd clearly be just, you know, rearing back as far as he could. He'd throw it eight yards over the guy's head, just clearly airmail it. And so like, you could just see that the gears sort of starting to churn. And again, I, I don't know if that's endemic to him or if it's just something where the week started off poorly. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. We saw balls uh, batted at the line with him, we, all sorts of stuff. He's still a good athlete. He had one of the, the highest tops. I think he was only behind uh, one of the quarterbacks with, you know, as far as the, the high end speed or whatever. The but Louisville like, kid, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, that's, Malik yeah, Cunningham Malik or something. Cunningham. But whereas Hall was as good as advertised as an athlete, the arm was not as strong as at least I had thought, like, there were some throws he made at BYU where it was like, holy shit, you know, and especially the ones where it's like off platform and moving, like sort of like, wow, stuff sure. like that. But like, he just did not have the pop on his throws that I was expecting. I, I expected him to perhaps have the strongest arm in Mobile. He definitely didn't. And it's another one where the, the data bears this out. They, they have the chips in the ball too. Like the throw, uh, yeah. Hall throw velocity. The, yeah, exactly. Hall had the, the shortest, <laughs> longest throw of the, of the week by more than two yards. And he practiced every day. He did pull out of the game. It, it was at Jax. He was actually on my flight out of Mobile on Friday afternoon. I, I was thinking to myself, I hope this kid hasn't read the stuff that I've read about or read right. about this because he was sitting in the, the seat right behind me, but I yeah. didn't feel any kicks in my back like during the yeah. flight. So He's he just looking, that fucking Viking over there wrote some bad shit about me. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. like, you, you want my commentary and your, your coverage of this event? Yeah. Asshole. But Thor yeah, I mean, like, Eastern, you know, of course, you know, the fucking Viking. I'm not talking about Viking fan. I'm saying that Thor Nystrom is a fucking actual Viking. Um, <laughs> hey, I got, I got a question for you. Yeah. Is when we talk about Hendon Hooker, is he a product of a system mid round pick that should be ignored because he's old or should teams consider drafting him over Will Levis? Um, well, I think there's shades of gray there. I don't know that I would take I him. Know. I, I did. I did that on purpose to really put. Yeah. The, yeah. You're stretching me one way or the other. Yes, I, sir. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can go to one of those polarities or the other, but, um, closer to probably. Well, I, I do got him ranked four and five right now. I was going to say, or do you think Will Levis is a, <laughs> Is closer to the a player who should be mid round pick because the progress is you know in other words I I I don't know why that's not like a question but it doesn't seem to be even close to a question it feels like it's like well C J Stroud or Will Levis like wait what the fuck are you talking about like I don't know what you're talking about do do you how do you feel about this Will Levis Hennon Hooker each of them as prospects uh, at the quarterback position I guess. 
Yeah. Um, well, Levis, I'm I'm lower on than than some of these other folks. I I don't like quarterbacks where their play devolves when the circumstances around them do. Where it craters, really, mm-hmm. devolve doesn't go far enough. And that's what happened with uh, Levis last year, is this past season uh, across the board, um, it, it tanked. And if you're going to give Levis the excuse of, well, you know, all all these different guys left. Then you also have to build in the contracts that the year before he was playing with way better talent than I think people realize. Like Kentucky had one of the best offensive lines in the nation in 2021. He was playing with what did Wandale go in the top 50 or right. whatever? That was his high volume receiver. And Chris Rodriguez, Chris uh, Rodriguez, you know, get drafted at the you know the end of day three or whatever, but a better college back than an, than an NFL back. Like he he had plenty then, and yeah, and clean pockets and stuff like that. He, you know, he displays his, he's had very good traits or whatever, but um, this past season when the, you know, a lot of the offensive linemen left Wandale left, whatever, and Rodriguez was suspended for the first month of the season uh, he, you know, against pressure. Uh, Levis was awful. Was, I mean, he made bad decisions uh, and, and, you know, and he, people are going to say like, yeah, I mean, he had to dance away from pressure, you know, the entire season. But like, if you look at the guys where the conversion rate of pressures into sacks Levis is also near the top of that list. Like, so like, it's like, yeah, circumstances explain some of it, but you can't explain away all of it. Like, you know, at a certain point, his autonomy had to take over. Mm. Um, And, and, and and also they were shying him away from running and, and, you know, and, you know, he's supposed to be this super athletic guy or whatever, Um, you know, and he went to Penn state, the running quarterback, whatever, like that Franklin gets uh, before he transferred over. Um, and, and maybe a part of this, the usage thing was like, you know, as the season went on, he, he had suffered a couple minor injuries. Like there was a toe thing and uh, maybe there was a hamstring thing later on. There's just a couple minor things that he was playing through or whatever. But even so, like last year just was not good. And so I, the, the tools are good and everything like that, but I'm not going to not as quick as the other folks are just like bet on that. When in comparison to like a guy like Anthony Richardson, if, if you're going to bet on traits, right. my thought is, why don't you shoot the moon? Right. Um, and, and then with regards to, to Hendon Hooker, yeah, I mean, like you have to bake in the age and you have to bake in yeah. the, the injury he's coming off of. But yeah. uh, he the past couple of years, I don't know how you couldn't have been impressed. Right. He, he, ha- he has the mobility aspect to his game. He's overcome circumstances. Some kids mm-hmm. in his class haven't overcome circumstances. Year before last, Hendon Hooker was not the starter coming out of camp. You know, sort of similar to like Max Dugan this past year at TCU, but like Joe Milton was the start. You know, he beat him out coming out of camp, and then Hooker eventually, you know, took t- took over very early, and then just started dominating. Um, and as a passer, is the thing that over the past two years he really started to show something. Whereas earlier in his career at Virginia Tech, he was more, you know, the single, not dual threat, like single threat. You know, it's right. just more like the running or whatever. But like hy- hypo really helped him with that. the The question with him as as a passer is. Hypo is to me one of the top three offensive play callers in the game, and he might be the best one. And he's a guy who made Drew Locke a whole bunch of money because yep. true freshman season at Mizzou, uh, Josh, or I'm sorry, retro freshman season at Mizzou, Drew Locke's offensive coordinator was Josh Hypo. That was the year that Albert O went off. He made Albert O a bunch of money too. But there was like half or more of the touchdown passes that Drew Locke had. Guys were schemed wide open. Like, sure. you know, Albert O, like more than half his touchdowns, is schemed wide open. There's some of that with with Hennon Hooker as well, and there's some of the the half field read stuff. So it's like yes. you know, very clever play designs, and then you're also cleaving the field in half for him. Yep, 
unfortunately, we're not going to get to see Hendon Hooker in like a situation like at the senior ball where we could see if he could go through all the different reads or stuff. But like, you know, as far as like the rest of it and what we've seen on the field, I, I, I like that kid. Like, I, I, you know, and, and, and some of the people tossing out like the, the Dak Prescott thing, I, I don't think that's a terrible comp. Right, right, right. I think that's, I think that's fair. You mentioned, I can't, I mean, we got to get going, but I cannot end it. If you mentioned AR and we don't go to him, uh, Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, everybody's going to have a take. I've uh, basically said that exactly what I think we're probably going to be uh, in agreement here. What's your take on Anthony Richardson, the prospect? Yeah, I'm, I'm shooting the moon. If I got a shot, you know, right. like, uh, um, you know, d- depending on how early it is with these other, cause obviously, you know, I, I got, I got Bryce young ahead of him, but like Stroud, I, I, I got some questions about him. Obviously the floor is, is way higher by Stroud and you can play uh, Stroud right away with Richardson. We're returning to some of the talking points that we did last year with Malik Willis and yes. some people in some rooms, they're just not going to go for it. Cause you're going to, you know, that you're putting your job more in jeopardy by, by delineating a premium pick to a guy that's not going to play right away. And then <laughs> right. what if, what if he never does? Right. So like, you know, not only, you know, right away, whatever, but then, um, but like, you know, if, if you're willing to take the chance, if, if he hits his ceiling, it, it's an indefensible player. Like, it, I mean, like the physical tools are just absolutely stupid. And on yes. Anthony, Anthony Richardson's best plays, you, you, you like walk out of the room. You're like, get the fuck out. you like, shut off the TV. Like that's, <laughs> that is, that is not of this world. The, the one that sticks out to me from his career, from this past season, when they played Utah, in the opener and Utah was the better team and Utah probably should have won that game in, in Gainesville. And they had them at the, at the very end. Um, but Richardson, you know, ha- orchestrates this, this drive down the field and then they go for two and like they didn't, it turns out they didn't need the two, I guess, to, to win the thing, but he just had this amazing play out of the shotgun. Utah gets these two free rushers off the right side. Both of them had Richardson dead to right. And he, he somehow sloughs the one tackle and spins away from the guy and then, you know, runs around the other guy to the edge, then hits a guy in the back of the end. So just standing there by himself. Cause like the, the Utah defensive backfield's like, oh, well, they got him. We got him set. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, the velocity, the RPMs he gets out of that right arm, how far he can throw the ball. And then the athleticism, you know, like uh, Cam Newton is a name that I've, I've seen tossed out. Another one that that I'll toss out just because it's from the the same state collegiately, but also uh, you know my stomping grounds as far as uh, pro stuff. There's some similarities that Dante Culpepper coming out too, as far as the athleticism at that enormous size and the ability to stretch the defense back that far. People might not remember, but Dante Culpepper had one of the great bazookas. Yes, like you know the modern NFL, his deep balls, and, and, and then and then they gave him Randy Moss, and it was like, oh, this ought to work. Yeah, just literally yes. throw it as far as you can, and then Randy will slow down and catch it. Yeah, you want to talk about we were talking about spacing before. You want to talk about something that creates spacing when you have a quarterback that can push it sixty plus easy, and then a receiver that can go up and win one on one anytime yeah. the ball is down. There. The fastest receiver ever, as well. Who's the who's six four and can? Yeah, Randy Got Moss was a cheat code. Pass. Yeah, yeah. Randy oh, he sure, he sure was. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I think with Anthony Richardson, you're you're hoping for like a Josh Allen type of situation. That's another one. Yep. You know, because here's the I I mentioned it last week. It was just like if you look at Anthony Richardson in terms of statistically and the peripherals. You know, he's only had like 300 college attempts. He's not been very you know accurate. He hasn't been 
Uh, you know, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. His interception rate is too high. His yards per attempt is too low. Like everything he's done as a passer is not that of an elite quarterback in the NFL, but the, the traits are there. I can't argue with that. that that's, that's inarguable that he has a, a bazooka and he's one of the most athletic guys at, at a huge frame that we've ever seen. Like, so he is all those things. And I do agree with that. He will be an outlier if he succeeds. And of course we want him to succeed because it'd be fun as hell to have a guy like that, uh, you know, ripping things, ripping plays in, in the NFL, but it's going to be hard for him to be able to deliver the ball on time and on target because he has not shown the ability to do, to do that. Uh, that is going to be his challenge, just like it is for Malik Willis. But if you get a little bit creative and, and you do something like they did for Lamar, but of course, you know, Lamar is, I mean, he was very, very successful in college, you know, compared to a guy like Anthony Richardson. I mean, you just go look at their two, you know, stat profiles. You're like, oh, well, shit, these aren't the same guy. So you can't say, it, oh, it's just like Lamar Jackson. It's like Lamar Jackson was the, the high, I mean, he was the best player in college, the most productive player you've ever seen. I mean, even as a rusher, ran for more than twice the amount of yards in a single season than Anthony, Anthony Richardson has. So there's just a lot going on there where it's like, you know, he has to, it, it's got to be really, you're, you're drafting on traits is all I'm saying. And, and that's a scary proposition as you point out for a GM to make. I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, it, I'm not sure which situation would be, would be best for him, but I, I, I'm, I would be scared as hell if I'm a GM to, to pass on him and to draft him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, there's some, you know, like right now the the accuracy isn't like near NFL ready and, you know, the ability to, to run a system, whatever, but like same way we were talking about, like with Malik Willis, I think you bring in Richardson and for a year, you're trying to build a, a system that caters to his skill set, And yeah, then you teaching him the, the NFL, right? Like, and yep. with Richardson, you'd, you'd want to, um, you know, both the the vertical passing game and then also his ability to stress the the defense with his legs or whatever and that's that's something that I would love to ask him Anthony Richardson about is he's so gifted as a runner and you know the athleticism and the physical package and everything whereas a guy like Cam Newton would dominate with that in college like we just didn't see as much with that with Richardson this year we did see the mobility help him out of danger numerous times and yep. just one example of that you know I mentioned before Will Levis, his his percentage of pressures that were converted into sacks this year was 26.8, which is okay. an abomination. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Richardson's percentage was 9.2. Mm. He's one of the only, in fact, I'm looking down my list right now. He's the only quarterback I can see on here that that's percentage was under 10%. Interesting. So he, he's he's gonna help solder over some some holes potentially on the offensive line, stuff like that. But you, you got to improve the accuracy and, again, you know, help help him by facilitating an offense that at least initially when he starts playing that will will cater to his skill set. Do you have the data on the two uh, top guys, Bryce and CJ, in front of you? Yeah, those guys. Uh, Bryce Young was 12.5, and he had to face more of it this year because Alabama's offensive line was down. CJ Strouds was 14.1. Okay. so But Young of those okay. four guys yeah. is by far the best against pressure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that that's interesting. So yeah, that shows you just how terrible Levis is. I mean, whether it's Levis or Levis, we're gonna leave his ass uh, off my f- fantasy team probably <laughs> at his cost. Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. If you if he were if, look, it's all about ADP too. Because if you you know if you tell me you know oh he's uh, 
you know, Desmond Ritter or whatever, you know, third round pick. And, oh, yeah, yeah, well, let's give him a shot. I, yeah, he might be pretty good. Let's see what he can turn into. But if you tell me he's a top five pick, I'm out. Um, speaking of out, we got to be out, man. You got places to go. You have been so generous with your time. And first of all, you and I could probably just sit here and do this for like, I don't know how many days in a row. Just keep going. Just bring us coffee and just keep it rolling because you're so easy to talk to. You're so easy to listen to. Uh, I'm sure everybody loved this episode because of how great you are and how, how, how generous you were with your time. So thank you so much, uh, Thor. You're amazing. And I appreciate you being on the show, man. Appreciate you, Jack. It's always good to talk to you. Yeah, you're awesome. And I'm sure everybody is going to go follow you at fantasy pros and at on Twitter at Thor KU. And if you don't know what the KU stands for F you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So on behalf of everybody here, at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer the land has ever known, Mr. Michael P. Duncan. And the P stands for Philadelphia Eagles. Let's go, Eagles. Get one for Mr. P. Duncan. You have been joined by the great Thor Nystrom. I am Jax Falcone, and we are out. Yeah.